0: A star-spanning saga of ancient magic and deep science, vividly told by a modern master, says Dave Gibbons. Kelly Sue states, the kind of epic you crave, both noun and adjective, and that doesn't even quite capture Liam Sharp's astonishing scope and vision. There's magic in these pages. Matt Fraction calls it jaw-dropping and epic and massive. He also says this is a gorgeous and incredible and massive swing for the stars that declares his ambitions have taken him to some exciting and undiscovered territories. Bravo, congrats, cheers, and exhale. This is glorious. What are they all talking about? Liam Sharp's upcoming six issue series, Starhenge from Image Comics. Liam himself says of the series, I wanted to do my own Image comic for 30 years. I've wanted to do a Merlin comic for even longer than that. This is a culmination of so many dreams and ambitions of mine finally being realized, and that makes it the most exciting and personal comic project I've ever done. I can't wait to see it on the shelves. It's also been described as a mashup of the Green Knight and Terminator with all the Arthurian legends, time travel, and killer robots that entails, plus Merlin, magic, and mayhem. The first issue debuts in comic shops on July 6th, with final order cut off on June 13th. So now's the time to tell your retailers to order you a copy. Welcome to another Comic Source, Comic Boom collaboration. This is your DC Spotlight for the week of June 7th, 2022. We're going to be talking about most of the books. If you're here looking for Dark Crisis, go check out our separate Dark Crisis Spotlight. If you're here looking for DC Pride, we will have a Pride uh, Spotlight as well. That'll probably come out Wednesday, so tomorrow as you're uh, listening to this. If you're listening to it the first day that it was released. uh, The rest of the books we'll be talking about here. Uh, And I thought it it was a pretty good week. I was going to say a pretty solid week, but it, it was better than solid. There are some fantastic books. Uh, debut of Aquaman Andromeda, I thought, was really, really strong. Uh, Killing Time is only getting better. Uh, Flashpoint Beyond's getting more intriguing. Dark Knights of Steel was good. Yeah, it was a really, really good week. Uh, only a few books that were uh, underwhelming. How'd you feel about the week overall, Rocky?
1: Uh, I I would say it was actually half and half for me. Uh, but but the the half that I liked, I really liked. Uh, like I said, I'm you know DC's taken some slack online for. There's some people that think that DC's quality has gone down because of lack of uh, a perceived lack of sales, whether it's true or not. And there might be some truth to it. But the fact is, I I don't think DC's been given enough credit. Uh, I just want to say out there that I've been collecting DC comics for forty four years. And, uh, I don't say that with ego. I say that to make the point that at no point at any point along in my four decades of reading DC comics did I ever love every single DC comic that I read. And I got to tell you right now I'm batting at about 65, 70% of the DC titles I'm reading. I'm enjoying from good to great. And that's as just as high a percentage of enjoyment of DC Comics than has ever existed, whether it was Rebirth or the New 52 era or the post-crisis or pre-crisis era. So I, don't, I, I, I just want to defend DC a bit because I think the quality of their titles is not near as bad as, as some people, uh, certain voices are uh, claim that it is. And I fear that too many people are listening to the naysayers and not not discovering for themselves a title that, uh, DC that they can enjoy. But uh sorry I didn't really answer your question there, but i uh we'll get into it, but i I enjoyed a, a solid uh, uh at least five titles this week i I thought were worthy of mention.
0: yeah, it's interesting uh I also have been uh, you know a long time d c reader one of the things that um that i don't want to say it bothers me, but I guess I'll say that i I regret is that i I took a break um from comics due to uh, just being f- super busy with life and job and, and that sort of thing. Right around, I don't know, 20, 2007, let's say, 2005, somewhere in that, that two-year, I kind of drifted away from it. I think between 2005 and 2007, I wasn't reading anything but Superman. And then 2007 until about 2011, I wasn't reading uh, – or 2010, maybe. I wasn't r- really reading anything. And then when I came back in – um. I was only dabbling in Marvel, like I remember reading Civil War and that kind of thing. And then, like the New Fifty Two came along at the perfect time for me because I, you know, DC's always in my mind been more interconnected in the universe uh, than than Marvel. And so I was like, man, I, I, I've missed so many years of DC. I don't know where to even jump in, where to even begin. And then, the, obviously, the New Fifty Two came in, and I was like, great, this is perfect timing for me. I was my first year I went to San Diego Comic Con was in twenty ten or twenty eleven. Um, and then I bought all the books and they came out in September and it was like a fresh jumping on point. I didn't have to, and I, you know, there were other things that were referenced and I eventually went back and read, you know, blackest night and, uh, Batman RIP and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but what's interesting is that I I missed so much of that era where it was the DC swoosh, which I love that logo. That's my favorite DC logo of all time. And it was there far too short of a time, but maybe it's because I missed it. That I and I, you know, that was when a lot of people were talking about how good DC was, um, and I feel like maybe that era might rival. But again, I wasn't reading, so I don't really know. It just, yeah. it's like you, you know, I have FOMO for that era, right? I didn't read it when it came out, and was it really as good? It seems so awesome when I go back at like any DC book with a swoosh on it. I feel like was a solid book. Like that, that's when you had like the the uh, Jeff Johns Teen Titans and. <laughs> yeah. There were so many fantastic books that, that I hear about from then that I wasn't reading. And yeah, so I don't know. I, I can't say that, you know, DC has never been stronger than it is right now, but in my experience, I, yeah, I have to kind of agree with you. This is as strong as it's, as it's ever been, but at the same time, it's not without problems. And, you know, we talk yeah. about editorial. Is there anybody steering the ship? What's their long-term plan? The problem is, you know, whether you agree with the decisions that Dan Didio made or not, and he was the face of D.C. for over two decades. He was the face of DC. He was at least saying something. Here's yep. the thing. like the stories are doing their talking, and if there's other people out there saying, "Well, the sales aren't great or whatever, there's nobody to refute that, right? There's no yeah. And Marvel has the same problem. Don't get me wrong. This isn't just a .DC. problem. And we've talked about it on the podcast before. There's nobody that's the you know, and we also haven't had big conventions in a couple of years. So who's out there speaking? you know? That's not Jim I mean, I love Jim Lee, don't get me wrong met him many times we've had plenty of conversations but he's not that comic book cheerleader that dan didio was that dc cheerleader
1: yeah and, and I, uh
0: now we, yeah and, and joe q has now left marvel yeah. he kind of was that but never to the extent didio was and that's just not cb Sobol'ski's personality so stan's gone has been for years it's like man who's who's out there like convincing people to pick up books from these publishers it's a it's a in my mind it's a vacuum it's a void that these companies they need to fill it yeah. They need somebody out there that's the cheerleader, that's the face of the, and it can't just be a PR person because then they don't have the cred, you know.
1: Oh, I agree with you, and I just, I just want to add, I don't want to, I don't want people to misunderstand me. I think that there are things that are seriously editorially wrong at DC right now. I really do, and I think there, I think it is maybe a little bit of a crisis, even. God, God there's that word again. But <laughs> uh, all I'm, my my point was is that despite the. Uh, potentially huge editorial chaos at D.C. right now with the Discovery takeover and b- going back a year with the at takeover, et cetera, et cetera. Well, all, my point is is that I don't think that the sky has completely fallen here despite the chaos at D.C. I'm, I'm, I I'm, find myself ironically enjoying just, just percentage-wise the same amount of D.C. titles as I ever have. And that's the saving grace that keeps me at D.C. is that, you know... The continuity might feel very wonky, but at least I'm enjoying the individual tales. In other words, maybe the forest is on fire, but I've found some trees that are untouched by fire. So we'll leave it <laughs> at that. <laughs> we found some trees that we like. <laughs>
0: yeah, I got uh, a nice tree
1: house that's that's fireproof, so I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Asbestos lined. Yeah.
0: Uh, all right, well, let's dive into the first book that we're going to talk about, um, so <laughs> it's so funny because when Tom Taylor came on the show, he talked about how, you know, he he acknowledged that his Batman run, maybe he did some things in his run that he would do differently, um, you know, and it wasn't all hundred percent him, you know, going back to, to editorial, just based on the timing of some things and whatnot. Um, but be that as it may, he he talked about the fact that he was coming out with this new series where. It was called Batman Killing Time and it was just going to be this big popcorn adventure and he was going to just tell the story from A to B and, you know, it wasn't jumping around or, you know, it wasn't three different timelines. It wasn't told backwards. It wasn't any of the the crazy things that we've seen Tom King do over the years. Uh, I'm going to have to – next time I see Tom, I'm going to have to give him a little bit of crap about that because as much as I'm enjoying Killing Time and – This issue three is my favorite – or issue four, rather, is my favorite issue yet. Um, And the art by David Marquez is fantastic. We have colors by Alejandro Sanchez, letters by Clayton Cowles. I I loved this issue. Uh, And every time I see The Help, the new villain that Tom has uh, introduced us to, I'm more and more excited about the potential of this character. But it does jump around. It does jump – you know, not – it's not three different timelines. It's not super hard to – uh, understand the way like maybe bat cat is but it it does, it does jump around even if it's within the same day and there are timestamps and it's kind of easy to understand what's going on and whatnot but man I, I don't I just don't think that Tom is capable of, <laughs> of telling a story just that simply. Just this happens in this panel and then like true sequential storytelling. Then this happens and this happens and this happens. <clears throat> but that being said, like I said, this is so This is so fun, in terms of just being a really, just a really fantastic story um, with this really intriguing character. Like I said, um, I think the help is one of the most interesting characters we've seen in quite a while, Uh, and I think he has a lot of potential. And you know, this is supposedly from what Tom's told us, year two of Batman. It feels like year two of Batman. Um, and if there's any nitpick I have other than the fact that it's not truly a simple linear story, it's that, um, we haven't, it felt, it feels like we haven't gotten a whole heck of a lot of Batman yet. We feel like we've gotten a little more of Riddler and Catwoman than anybody else in the story so far, at least. Um, but I am enjoying it and yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued. The more I see of this character, the help, um, the, the more I like him. And I'll also say that uh, we get some clues about what it is that's in the box. And it's all wrapped up with Ra's al Ghul, which is another, he's, he's so important to Batman's history. In my mind, he's a more important villain or even necessarily call him a villain, but just a more important character to Batman in my mind than Joker. Uh, And I feel like he doesn't show up anywhere near as much as a Joker for, you know, whatever reason, but uh, I really enjoyed this issue. And it just has me that much more excited for more to come with this series. Uh, what do you think, Rocky?
1: Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I can't, because normally 99% of the time I'm not a big fan of these time jumps that Tom, Tom King does. Uh, but I almost, this was the first, maybe it's because of the, I love the, cat my favorite sequence of events was the, is the cafeteria scene with Riddler and Catwoman and that, that sort of that agent that was that they're supposed to meet to arrange the meet where they were supposed to uh, exchange the, the the item that they stole uh, from the from the bank that apparently contains a secret of of, uh, of Rosal or some secret that we're, we're still not quite sure what it is. But I, I got a feeling of a, it felt like a Quentin Tarantino movie a little bit at times, and that's a fairly high compliment. And I can't believe I'm saying it, but I actually really really enjoyed this issue too, and there was it it did jump around but i actually found it really easy to follow this time because and as a compliment in this issue i actually was really curious what's in about the conversations you know the help jumps on the motorbike with batman they have a conversation the help and, and batman sort of negotiate with each other they're going to the help is gonna is going to aid batman in in trying to uh, retrieve the, the item that was stolen from Catwoman and Riddler. There's an unspoken, uh, or I guess it is spoken, they, they agree that they're going to get to the end and then they'll fight. They'll probably fight to the death at the end. At least that's what the help thinks is going to happen. We find out that the help was originally intended to be the heir of Ra's al Ghul, but Ra's al Ghul rejected the help when he was younger in favor of once Ra's al Ghul saw a young training Bruce Wayne. So we might see some, maybe there is... Maybe we now know why the help maybe respects Batman, but also resents him a little bit there. So I find that interesting. The help very clearly has respect for Batman because he helped. He he got the you know the 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 tigers were killing were on top of Batman. He helps Batman out. The uh, this Selina Kyle with the Riddler in the in the cafeteria. The fight scene was very well well done in the in the cafeteria scene. I loved how Catwoman shows up and. This Catwoman, she's a little bit more lethal. She's a little bit more deadly. I think she softened a little bit over the years once she got to know Batman. And at least even even my interpretation of Tom King's iteration of Catwoman, he he he, he always puts Catwoman on a pedestal. He Catwoman is not well. She's she's been kind of a Mary Sue at times during. Tom King's Batman run where she's taken out the flashes and she's taken out justice league members and she's doing all kinds of things that are, I think outside her skill level. But, um, uh, here she's, she's, she's definitely more of the villain, the thief. This is before she's really in love with Bruce Wayne. And, and I like that this Batman year Two it feels like an earlier version of Batman and it really is great that way. Penguin. This is a lethal angry penguin. A vengeful penguin. I like seeing Cobblepot like this. He's angry at the Riddler. Uh, this is kind of where I, I wish I'd see more of this type of angry penguin in the past. I, pe- penguin moving forward. This is very well done. I have to admit, I'm still a little bit kind of lost. I don't know where Tom King is going with this, this Roman reference of, of this king in the past whose head was decapitated and there is betrayal and royal monocle betrayals uh, and a he's almost, I'm not sure what the reference is, perhaps it's linked to what was stolen or taken, not really sure exactly what that is, but even that has me a little bit intrigued now, because Tom King is huge on metaphor, and he's always huge on, Tom King is known for referencing stories, for referencing past our, our uh, literary works, and um, um, I actually don't know if he's just making up this past story, if this is a reference to a literary work, and he's just not you know, Tom King has this habit of, he's been accused of plagiarism, even though it's not plagiarism. He'll he will make a story that's so similar to another story with the same names, and then it's, he'll be called out for it. And then he'll say, oh yeah, that's what I was referencing. Uh, he's done that a few times in his Batman run. I, uh, but in any event, um, I enjoyed this. Uh, it's, it's fun. It's, a, it's, it's action-packed. It's uh, and I'm actually following it, and this Batman is kick-ass, and I suspect that Batman, I can't wait to the final confrontation between Batman and the help. Uh, Tom King's doing a good job really building that up, because I think Batman has got a trick up his sleeve with the help, because I think you just know Batman was learning from his first fight with the help, where he was defeated, and so I'm really curious to see where that goes. Yeah, that's a great point you make, and the other part of that is, what I thought was that,
0: so part of the reason that he agreed to team up with the help is because he know he needs to learn uh, he needs to learn from the help you know he needs to to learn by teaming up so that when they do face each other next time that he, he you know he'll be able to uh, he'll he'll be able to defeat him yeah because he'll he'll have learned uh, that's what i kind of what I got from it mm-hmm. so uh anyway, yeah, both really enjoyed that one uh up next, another batman book. Uh, it's number 124, Abyss Finale, which I felt like it was the story was already over, but apparently not. This felt pretty much like a footnote to me. Uh, it felt like, well, we need an issue because Zdarsky's not scheduled to start until 125, but be that as it may, uh, this is what we got. It's written by Joshua Williamson. Howard Porter and Jorge Fornes are the artists. Tameya Mori on colors, Clayton Cowell on letters. what you think,
1: Rock? Uh. This this definitely felt like a filler. I, I thought the abyss storyline, like you, I thought it was over too. I thought, oh my God, what's 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 going on here? It, I was actually taken aback a little bit. Um, uh, but I, I guess in you know uh, it, it it was it was decent enough. It wasn't absolutely necessary. Uh, but where he finds himself back in uh, Bad News or. Badnesia, uh, where, where Abyss originally was, and he goes back there to basically take out Abyss, only to find out that it's de- that detective, uh, uh, I always pronounce her name wrong, is it Kea? Uh, she's actually dressed up like the Abyss. So the detective, uh, the detective, uh, Detective uh, Kehat, or Kea, sorry, Detective Kea. She was the detective that helped Batman take down Abyss. Uh, and uh, when he, along with, Batman, uh, with with the help of Batman Incorporated and Lex Luthor was involved in previous issues, Detective Kea is is an interesting new character. Detective Kea is actually putting on the Abyss costume because she's taking a cue from Batman. Because people are fearful of Abyss, uh, she thought, well, I'm going to use fear as a weapon. If they fear it, or the, if the bad guys are fearful of abyss i'm going to dre- why not dress up like abyss to look for who what happened to my parents my parents are missing they've been they've been uh, kidnapped i want to find out what happened to them and basically this it th- this is batman just helping detective care find lo- locate locate where her her parents are and that's essentially what the entire issue is uh it's it's basically detective care it's a story. The story is about her her quest for vengeance, and and uh, Joshua Williamson uses the story uh, as a way to draw an, an analogy between Batman's struggle with wanting his desire to kill Joe Chill uh, versus Detective K's struggle to want to kill the. What ends up it ends up with a tragic ending. Her parents were killed, but it's about Detective uh, Kaya's struggle with her desire for vengeance. And Batman makes the judgment call with her. Batman, of course, doesn't doesn't he's he's not going to let anybody kill anybody. But it it appears as if he trusts he let Detective Kea decide for herself whether or not to use lethal force. And she chose the better angels of her nature. And, uh, and she ends up uh, having made that choice, being invited to join Batman Incorporated at the end of the issue. So it was a nice callback. It was it, – it was, I find it interesting the reference, the, the the flashback to Batman's struggle where he confronts Joe Chill in in a prison cell. There are so many different stories of Joe Chill and Batman and Bruce Wayne's interaction with Joe Chill – it always seems that's the one aspect of batman's origins that always seem to be rewritten from writer to writer every two or three years there's a different interpretation of what that or, that early joe chill confrontation was but uh it's you know here we get joshua williamsons take on it and it's it's not bad it's not bad i i, I don't i don't mind it um you know again it's not absolutely necessary but i will say this i really love detective care that's that's one supporting character that I really really liked in uh, in Joshua Williamson's uh, brief Batman run here and it's it's nice that you know why not why not use the abyss character since it was created and it, it is a character that has even the name I, you could see is symbolic here because when you um, what happens when you look into the abyss and of course if you if you if you turn to the dark side too much when you stare into the abyss the reflection that looks back at you is yourself and that's what in fact batman says that's the ultimate lesson here batman looked and saw himself when he when he had a desire for vengeance, what stopped him from killing Joe Chill was that he looked into the darkness and he saw a reflection and it was his own reflection. And it's, it's a lot of metaphor there and theme, but I thought it's done, it's done well. And I'm a sucker for a good metaphor, a good theme. And that's what this had. So, uh, I I thought it wasn't bad. It was a little tropey maybe, but I think it worked and it it, it brought the story to an end and a nice sort of like cherry on top to the abyss storyline. Yeah. I don't know. Cherry on top. Uh, I don't know.
0: I felt <laughs> like the remains of the ice cream. If you want to lick it, you can. And it still <laughs> well, tastes I know. you said good, I'd lick it. I mean, come on. Was it necessary? I don't know. I just, I felt, I really did feel like that abyss story was was over and done with and didn't need anything expanded. And as much as I agree with you in terms of Detective Kea being an interesting character, for this detective that, you know, has pushed herself to become a detective and obviously she lives in you know, not, not, maybe not a third world country, but, you know, an Asian country seems like uh, Eastern Asian country where, uh, you know, typically societally uh, women are considered less. And so she's had to to, to do more than maybe a male counterpart would in order to get the respect. I, all that being said, I don't think that means she can just put on the abyss costume and be as formidable as she appears to be. Like, like she's, really badass which is cool in a way but at the same time it kind of i was kind of rolling my eyes going come on really <laughs> um you know like batman and and granted uh when batman did confront her when he didn't realize yet who she was he did defeat her relatively easily but you know she's taken on you know multiple attackers and she's having no issues so uh, i thought that was a little I was a little wonky. I also felt like the art was a little wonky. The Jorge Fornes flashback is is fantastic as always, but uh, I've said this before about Howard Porter's art. As much as I enjoy his art, I don't think it works as well on Batman as it does on something like The Flash, where you expect a lot of kinetic movement or whatnot. Uh, I will say the double-page splash with the motorcycle looked kind of cool, but for the most part, the thicker lines on, on Batman just don't work, doesn't work for me. Uh, I can't fault his storytelling, though his storytelling is always fantastic. Um, so yeah, I thought it was okay. I'm I'm very curious to see what the Zadarsky Dzar- era entails. It's so interesting because he writes Daredevil for Marvel, and so often people say that Daredevil's the, the Marvel version of Batman. Now he's writing both, so uh, we'll see how that all pans out. There is a, a backup here actually, and I I sort of enjoyed the backup for what it. Uh, Sort of teases more than the main story uh, it's called photosynthesis it stars poison ivy it's written by g willow wilson art is by danny uh, colors by trish Mulvahill. letters by hassan Atman elhow i thought the art was was solid what's interesting is that this artist danny she was the one that did the art on the um new world order arkham asylum or whatever it was called where i really disliked the art uh, and here i didn't mind the art and i can sort of see how you know, some similarities at times where uh, there's like no outline to the character. It's all just color blocked uh, and then sort of detail, which I find to be interesting. Um, I'm not sure how she even conveys that to, to the inker. What's going on? I, she's not coloring herself, so I'm not I'm not 100% sure how that, that works. But be that as it may, it just goes to show with – brighter colors, which again, I, I understand why in Arkham New World Order, you want to go darker colors. It's a horror comic, but it made her art feel so muddy. And here it's much cleaner with the brighter colored art. So it makes me wish that her art had been colored with a little bit of brighter color uh, you know. despite the aesthetic they were going for. Uh, but I really enjoyed this. Uh, we learn a lot about what Poison Ivy's been going through. Basically when her kind of human side and her plant version side, remerged recently in Fear State. Uh, she's, not only is she dying, she, she's losing her powers and she's dying. Um, maybe as a result of losing her powers. So what it portends, and, and this leads directly into the first issue of Poison Ivy, which we'll be talking about as well. Um, it's just really interesting. Uh, you want to talk about Catwoman going a little more lethal in Batman Killing Time. Uh, when we talk about that first issue of Poison Ivy, yeah, we'll be talking about that as well. So, this isn't the uh, goofy Pamela Isley maybe you've been uh, used to reading about in issues of Harley Quinn, where she's kind of playing the straight man to Harley Quinn's insanity. This is a much much more traumatized, in my mind, more interesting uh, Pamela Isley. So uh, for so long, it, it feels like DC hasn't known what to do with her because you have some people that all they want is Harley and – Ivy to be in a relationship, and that's kind of the only thing that that poison ivy's good for nah that's not really true and I've talked about it a lot how I don't really it, it's not interesting it's kind of sort of cliche just to turn every d c villain into a hero or an anti hero you know we've seen it time and time again, black manta most recently we saw it with poison ivy you no know, sometimes villains just need to be villains um, that's okay and I don't know. It almost seems like G. Willow Wilson is taking Poison Ivy back to the, the villainous side. I guess we'll have to wait and see. But again, we'll talk about Poison Ivy number one. But I thought this was a great lead in. And maybe what DC's hoping is, hey, Batman's a really good selling book. Poison Ivy's traditionally a Batman villain. Let's throw this backup in there and see if we can get people interested enough after reading this backup that they'll pick up Poison Ivy number one also. Um, if not, because it has a fantastic cover. Uh, but anyway, what do you think of the backup? Any
1: thoughts? uh yeah i'm I'm a little bit intrigued i I never got the impression reading this that she was dying, although you could maybe see that she says every day I lose a little more of the power of green of queen ivy soon enough i 'll be back to my old self as the invincible parts of me die away, but there is one loss last chance to salvage something from all of this one final opportunity to carry out the will of the green and so I find it interesting that my inter- it interpretation of this is that you know she she loves Harley, but she also wants to carry out the will of the Green, and because she's been poison ivy f- for presumably a good portion of her life, it, it you know she can't imagine a life without being part of the Green, uh, but she loves Harley, and uh, I I'm, I'm guessing that she wants to both accomplish the will of the Green. To feel perhaps whole again, and then go back to Harley. So I'm guessing that this is kind of a quasi love story about about Poison Ivy trying to find herself and reclaim herself, and also uh, perhaps at some point find her way back to to Harley. Um, what's interesting here is that I seem to think that, uh, and it might, might be because we we sometimes we cheat and we read ahead a little bit that if she is dying it's interesting i i think that uh j willow wilson here the writer uh she's she's wet my appetite here i'm 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 curious about this uh in a way uh, poison ivy has always been an, sort of an eco terrorist and she always has an agenda where she wants to protect the earth no matter what and in that respect she's kind of a one hit wonder so um I want to see I'm curious to see with the new series coming out Poison Ivy number 1 which is what this will lead into you know is I want her, I want Poison Ivy to be more than just a glorified eco terrorist I want this to have a little bit more gravitas than that because we've seen that before and so I'm hoping we get a little bit more than just Pamela Isley the insane eco terrorist who wants to do something environmentally you know catastrophic for the world and sacrifice humanity in lieu of the green. So, uh, but we'll, we'll see where it goes, but uh, you know, I, I'm hoping it's not too tropey, but, uh, but we'll have to wait and see.
0: Yeah. Maybe I'm, I'm pulling that the fact she's dying. Maybe that was in, in poison Ivy number one. Uh, that might've been where she said it. And I just got, got mixed up. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, this is, uh, this is intriguing and uh, I think it bodes well. And I agree with you. Like She needs to be more than just Harley sidekick. Um, but her as a two-dimensional echo terrorist isn't interesting either. So why not both, right? So, Okay, so let's move on to the next book. It's Batman Beyond Neo Year. This is issue number three, written by Colin Kelly and Jackson, Jackson Lansing. Max Dunbar is the artist. Sebastian Cheng does colors. I did a bit of car on letters. Uh, first of all, let me say fantastic covers, both. Um, and it starts off with Barbara Gordon, <clears throat> just future Barbara Gordon, future Neo Gotham, retiring as commissioner of uh, the Gotham City Police Department uh, and maybe choosing the wrong time to do so, uh, or perhaps choosing exactly the, the right time to do so. But be that as it may, that's what's going on. And uh, Terry McGinnis, who you know realized that Gotham had, City itself had become sentient, uh, and is responsible or he believes is responsible for killing Bruce Wayne is uh, he's basically number one on the wanted list both as Terry McGinnis and as uh, Batman Beyond so the city is hunting him and he's not able to operate as he normally would He's uh, his suit is limited he's uh, at least undetectable to Gotham City so we'll have to wait and see how uh, how that all works out. And then the, there's this new villain that we've been introduced, Lumos, who is actually from Bloodhaven and has agreed to uh, fund the Gotham City Police Department, which I, obviously people have a lot of issues with since he's maybe not on the up and up, but it's an interesting conversation that he has with Barbara Gordon, because he says, look, I'm a simple man. I run the most powerful company in the world. I live like a king. And I, uh, I want people to be able to live their lives and make money and spend money because when they make money and spend money, I, I make money. Uh, and he I'm any, anything, if not the most, you know, selfish man you've ever met. So it's kind of interesting. Um, you, you wonder, is he just, is he scrupulously honest, but inscrupulous when it comes to his greed or is he being dishonest and there's more going on than, than you might think, what does he have to do? if anything, with this sentient um, neo-Gotham. So, Terry McGinnis meets somebody else at the party. There's a lot of police in attendance uh, because, obviously, it's the commissioner uh, who's retiring, and he seemingly has a sixth sense for being able to pick out the one honest cop left on the force. Uh, (laughs) She's so honest that uh, she realizes that he's scrambling his identity because, again, he's wanted. And Uh, you know, she's got no love for Donovan Lumos either. Uh, and so it's interesting when her and Terry leave to go get a bite and Terry, what in, in what he thinks is a subtle way is trying to get information from her. She basically kicks his butt and says, I don't know who you're working for. If you're working for the guys that kidnapped the mayor or you're working for Donovan Lumos or somebody else, but next time you come at me, you better not come with a facial scrambler. Uh, you know, I'm not a cop that's looking to be on the take, you know, I'm a detective. And if you come around me with the uh, fake face, again, I'll hit you so hard that maybe your real one's going to get rearranged as well. So uh, it's pretty interesting. She's a, a really interesting character. Uh, Beam is her name and that's short for sun, sunbeam, which is, yeah, her parents obviously gave her a terrible name. I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no other way that you can say it, honestly. Um, but, she's, yeah, she's an interesting character, and I'm, I'm looking forward to to uh, to learning more about her, despite the fact that her name is Beam Boonma, uh, which is, man, that's just a bad one to be saddled with. Uh, but even Terry McGinnis himself, you know, he, he finds himself attracted to her and wanting to, to not lie to her, not play the game, um, but he doesn't know if he knows her well enough yet. To do so, and obviously he's still trying to, you know, get the the uh, the noose from around his neck and uh, solve Bruce's murder and find out who's behind Gotham City becoming sentient. So he's got a lot of irons in the fire, and he doesn't necessarily feel comfortable revealing himself to her. But uh, I imagine she's going to be um, a supporting character going forward. Uh, but with that lead that uh, she gives him after t- talking to her inadvertently. Uh, He goes to the mayor's mansion to look for the mayor, uh, and when he goes in his office, he thinks he sees the mayor sitting there, but it turns out it's a hologram. This was all a setup by the city itself, and uh, now uh, he's trapped there and gets attacked by some guy wielding a sword. Um, And you wonder, well, is this just another hologram? You know, Because it definitely seems like he's in this, for lack of a better term, like a holodeck from Star Trek. With uh, you know, just a grid on the walls and just a, a a box. So is this just another hologram, or is there really somebody else in there with him? So uh, I, I'm really enjoying this. I've talked before in the past about not really ever being that invested in Batman Beyond, um, but man, these two writers, Kelly and Lansing, have have really pulled me in in a very short period of time. I mean, this is only issue three, and I'm all in on this. And the Max Dunbar art is really fantastic. He he's got a little bit, uh, you know, his art's not super. Realistic. He's got a little bit of like a cartoony vibe with some you know exaggerated facial expressions and anatomy and whatnot, especially during the uh, the fight scenes. And I'm digging it. And the the colors as well. um, There's a lot of blues, which you think, okay, well that's going to make it sort of dark. You know, a lot of darker blues and purples, which kind of suits Gotham City, right? You think of Gotham City as being pretty dark. Most of the action, most of the um, storytelling takes place at night. Again, very typical of a story set in Gotham city, but there's plenty of bright colors as well. I mean, Donovan Lumos is wearing, you know, he's like this, I mean, Lumos light, right. he He's always wearing this very flamboyant outfit that like glows and there's all this light and he's all about holograms and this and that, which makes you again, wonder what does he have to do with the city? The city's trapping, uh, Terry McGinnis in a holographic room. So yeah, all tied in and you wonder, but anyway, the art is fantastic. The colors by Sebastian Chang, uh, you know, despite the fact there's a lot of darker blues and purples, uh, it, it's still bright, really suits the line work of Max Dunbar and helps it to, to leap off the page. So I, I'm surprised, uh, pleasantly surprised, how much I'm enjoying this. Because again, I've, God knows DC puts out enough Batman related stuff, and I've never been the biggest Batman Beyond guy, uh, but I'm really digging this. What do you think, Rob?
1: I have to admit, uh, I, I share your sentiment in that I was, I've never been a Batman Beyond fan frankly not even to the cartoon to be blunt uh this is f- very straightforward and I'm, I'm i'm actually i'm i'm surprised i i'm frankly i was biased not to like this i really didn't like the opening issues i didn't like the intro uh i think it was in batman urban legends was it or somewhere but anyways i this is actually interesting. Um uh, you know, I didn't think I'd really enjoy it especially with Bruce Wayne and older Bruce Wayne being killed, but now his death is part of the central mystery. Although it I always it seems to me that Gotham City is now a living sentient place and it's arguably corrupt and I mean this Terry McGinnis, I mean he's got his uh, he, he's he's got everything against him here. I don't and uh, and he's got a secret identity, one of the things you never mentioned is that he he's got a secret identity uh called Neil Gibson that's his name, and so I'm wondering
0: <sighs> yeah, if I this just, I think he just created that because he's wanted both as Terry sure. McGuinness and and uh and Batman beyond so yeah yeah
1: no I, and that my point being is that I actually find that to be an interesting take i I don't know if that's unique, maybe that's happened before in in Batman beyond lore i don't know but i kind of like that idea it's kind of cool you know it's it's a you know because i think let's distinguish batman beyond from typical batman well he's got more than one secret identity i mean because frankly obviously terry mcginnis's identity is compromised he needs another identity and the fact that he you know he's got that the, the technology to you know give himself that identity uh i think it's interesting uh, and the fact that he's, you know, he's got a cop now that's on his side, or at least he, you know, it's, you know, potential love interest. I mean, all this in the span of, I mean, we're we're at the third issue here, and already uh, Jackson and Lansing are, are have already established the ground pieces and have have identified the players, the good guys, the bad guys, and created uh, and and simplified and created a world here, which, or let me rephrase that. Batman existing Batman Beyond fans already are aware of what the world is but for new readers I'm a new reader to Batman Beyond as far as I'm concerned I find this very new reader friendly from the beginning until three issues in and I'm actually intrigued by this I'm interested and I'm you know I'm I'm in I'm enjoying it just another example of you know I think I think DC again as kind under of some criticism, but I, I I can't fault this story for being uninteresting. I'm actually intrigued to see where this is going to go, and the colors. Shout out to the colors! You're absolutely right; absolutely gorgeous, beautiful. Uh, they really complement uh, Max Dumbars uh, Dunbar's art. Yeah, I mean,
0: if I'm trying to get somebody interested in Batman Beyond, this is the series I'm going to. I'm like, just read this. <laughs> I don't know what you know. And I've bought Batman Beyond books before. You know, I thought the Dan Juergens run was okay. Um, and I never really got into the cartoon and watched a few episodes it didn't really do it for me, but yeah, this, this is just fun. And uh, yeah, I think pretty new, new reader friendly as well. It's not, it's not hard to pick it up and, and hit the ground running. So, uh, okay. Up next we have Aquaman Andromeda book one written by Ram V art is by Christian Ward letters by a bit This is a black label book. So it's out of continuity. And I'm really curious to hear your
1: take Rocky. What'd you think? Um, I uh, sorry. I I didn't mind this. I didn't mind it. I thought it was a little bit. uh, uh, I I think the I thought the setup was interesting. It it was interesting. Nothing. uh, Again, Ram V. I don't don't think it was. um, It it, it's been done before. uh, That before sort of a similar take. I mean, an alien probe sort of lands on Earth and. And this alien, this, an alien craft has landed in the same spot in the ocean where, where apparently there's a place in the ocean that's a very common place where the Russians and Americans will crash their spaceships that they launch to the moon and into space. And when they come back, crash down to earth, they, 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 there's a, there's a particular spot in the ocean where they want to land their craft. So it's farthest away from, uh, from, from civilization, to minimize any potential uh, loss of life, and so they, there's a particular graveyard in the ocean where all these all of mankind's spaceships are sort of buried at the bottom of the ocean, and apparently uh, this this craft has landed there, and scientists are uh, scientists are really curious as to they they think it can't be a coincidence why would this particular spacecraft that this unidentified flying object has landed in this part of the ocean it can't be a coincidence that it's landed in the same spot that they use as their graveyard for their own spaceships something is they they feel that there's probably some intelligence guiding this craft and and what they do is that they send they send a one of their new uh quantum gravity submarines to check out this 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 phenomena at the bottom of the ocean and and they also, uh, so you got the governments that are interested in this, and they create a team. And basically, the, this opening issue is introducing us to this, This, this it's, it's very typical, like this group of scientists that are handpicked by the go- various governments to go in and to investigate. So it, it, it's very much like a little bit tropey, sort of like Alien, you know, sending in, you know, governments picking the best of the best to go and investigate this. Meanwhile, you got the nefarious potential bad guy parties that they send Black Manta to check it out what better person to send in than Black Manta to to get rid of the good guys and steal or discover the secrets of whatever's at the bottom of the ocean and so Black Manta's involved in this as well and he's hired and of course he's got his agenda uh he's hired and then of course we just got Aquaman who's in the background who is in who also is aware or is unclear what's going on but Clearly, this this craft that is emitting signals is aware that it's being looked upon, and this craft, or this force, this alien force is, is scanning the, the submarine that goes to investigate and is scanning the ocean, and we, we don't know what it is yet. We, this issue ends there's, with a lot of questions, but the lead character, which is this woman, she's got a history where she's lost her father, and her father drowned, and she's got... She's got her own. There's a Ram V, typical Ram V, a lot of metaphor here. He's a a lot of exposition, but it all comes down to theme. This, You know, look, I love Ram V. I know I know you feel the same way. Uh, People, if you if you really enjoy his swamp thing, I think you'll enjoy this. I will say this has slightly less exposition than than Swamp Thing. This has more dialogue. I actually thought his use of dialogue here between the characters is is actually better than it has been in the past. I like the the conversations between the various scientists talking about, you know, because they're all hired and they they don't really know initially what they're going in for. Well, what, what happens if we encounter a hostile force? And there's not even a contingency plan for what happens if this alien ship or whatever it is, is hostile. So this is... You, there is is some feeling here of they're really they're going into the unknown, and I also get a sense that this this is a black label series. I almost get a sense that the world doesn't even know that an Aquaman exists. So it was kind of curious that you know they're they're putting together this eclectic team to go investigate this, and no one thinks of calling Aquaman. Do they not know that an Aquaman exists? They know the bad guys, or there's at least one group of people that knows hires Black Manta. Well, they know the Black Manta exists. So, I was so I got some questions here. Is is, is this take place in a world where there's no other superheroes? Uh, but, but that's a nitpick. I enjoyed the. Um, this is a good setup for a first issue. Uh, it did feel a little bit common, like a little bit tropey. Uh, it did, but it does, it does feel cinematic and scope scope. And I would be, of course, we would be negligent if we didn't mention Christian Ward's art. Uh, really good. It really, he, he really conveys the tone of the deep sea ocean, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the horrifying act. Like I, it's scary. Like I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the deep sea. Uh, and the rendition of Black Manta here, and the the metaphor of the, of the darkness of the ocean. I mean, there there are some scenes here that it's easy to see how how terrifying th- the deep sea can be. Everywhere from the from the sea creature that initially takes out uh, one of the U.S. battleships uh, and leaves the submarine undefended, and the submarine, the quantum powered submarine, is going to investigate all by itself with no military backup to the to the characters and i'm sure one of the characters is going to betray the rest of the team again i think there's some it's easy to predict some of the some of what's going to happen here in terms of the plot but right now it it works uh but the jury's still out it's a little bit again It's a, there's no real big surprises here but i have to say it's it's probably more of a um i find this infinitely more interesting than what i'm reading in mainstream aquaman right now but what did you think?
0: Yeah, I, I sort of felt the same way. It felt a little derivative. I don't know if you've ever seen or read the book. It's a Michael Crichton book. It's called the sphere. They made a movie of it. It starts, um, Dustin Hoffman and, yeah. uh, Samuel Jackson and Sharon stone. Yeah. And I th- think Liv <laughs> Shriver was the last guy, but anyway, yeah, it's sort of a similar setup, right? Like they find this sphere deep in the ocean I think they were drilling for oil in that case. Um, and then these guys go in there and, you know, again, they're selected. There's a linguist and there's a, you know, psychologist and whatever. Um, and they go in and, uh, you know, it's this alien ship and it gives them abilities, whatever. And, and the, so it's, the setup is similar. The other thing that I thought was similar, like if you look through the book, there's one particular character. He's the guy that's in charge of communications after everybody that's on the, the experimental sub goes to sleep that night. Uh, except for the main character who can't sleep. She's like wandering around. Um, but this guy Anders is on the common. He's reading this book and it's called The Kraken. Um, and then Rocky alluded to it, the ship, it's called the Esperanza, which is again, this is a secret mission. So the Esperanza is uh, disguised as a shipping vessel. It's kind of hovering over uh, providing support to this experimental submarine with this quantum um, gravity propulsion drive that's not even supposed to exist and the submarine's not supposed to exist. It's Uh, They're using technology that's in violation of a treaty or something or other. Um, So, you know, this this mission is secret, right? Not only because you don't want people panicking if they think there's extraterrestrial alien life on Earth or what have you, but also, you know, governments, U.S. government's not going to want to share whatever they find. Um, and, And I think it's more than just the U.S. government, because when you look at the crew, there's like a Russian guy, at least based on his name, seems Russian. And so I think it's some governments working in cooperation from each other. But getting back to this idea of this ship that's, um, that's supposed to be supporting and disguised as a shipping vessel, it gets attacked by this giant octopus, this giant squid. Uh, and you wonder, because uh, Anders, he's watching this happen, and the sh- ship that they're in gets scanned, and it's after that sh- the, the ship, the, the sub that he's in gets scanned, that then this giant kraken, this giant octopus, this giant squid, whatever, this giant creature – attacks the Esperanza. And Anders puts down his book and you see the book is called Crack and Rises and on the cover of the book is a giant octopus attacking like this old school pirate galleon or whatever. And it again, it reminds me of Sphere because in the movie, in the Michael Crichton book and in the movie, what happened was the Sphere uh, was powered by thought in a way that these aliens were obviously highly advanced and had better control over their thoughts. Uh, and in the movie what happens is uh, Samuel Jackson has gone into the sphere and, and uh, inside the spaceship, there is this sphere that's supposedly the, like the engine that drives it again, powered by thought and nobody was supposed to touch it. Cause they didn't know what it was and whatever, but Samuel Jackson apparently without realizing it went inside uh, and then didn't even remember, but they saw it on video. But anyway, he gets this power to, and they all end up getting the power to, to basically have their thoughts become reality. So at one point there's all these jellyfish and, um, at another point, there's a, a giant Kraken because uh, Samuel Jackson in the movie is reading this 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea book. Again, giant Kraken, giant squid, octopus, whatever you uh, you want to think about it as that attacks the the s- installation they're in. So very similar. I couldn't help but think of that movie, Sphere. So I don't know if Ram V has ever read that book or seen the movie or whatever, but it, it, this felt like, oh, is this what we're doing? We're mixing like Sphere with Aquaman? Um, yeah. Which isn't a bad idea. But again, I mean it's not the freshest idea. And like you mentioned, this is kind of tropey and kind of predictable or whatever, because it's exactly this same thing is happening. Sure. This Anders is reading this book and then a giant octopus attacks the ship. So definitely seems like whatever is going on, maybe maybe the the probe from these aliens pulled the idea of oh look, these these beans fear giant octopi or giant creatures that look like this, like the cover of the book that he's reading or what what have you not saying it's necessarily exactly like it, but again, it it feels a little bit derivative. So that being said, the art makes it work. It's super creepy sphere. While not, you know, it was science fiction, but it also was scary intention, not necessarily a horror movie. There's no slasher. There's no giant monster or what have you. Um, Unless you want to think about, you know, our, our own, the chaos of the human mind, our inability to control our thoughts being monstrous. Um, But be that as it may, this really worked for me, uh, setting aside the idea that it felt a little bit derivative. Um, But again, much like some of the books we've talked about, it is all about the setup, right? Like Aquaman, he's in the first couple pages, as Rocky alluded to, it's, it's kind of established that the world at large doesn't really know who Aquaman is. It doesn't seem like there's other superheroes out there. Aquaman himself feels, and, and uh, I appreciate that ramvi leaned into this aspect of Aquaman because so often uh, it's not addressed. He He's half of two different worlds, right? Half the surface, half the water. The, the underwater dwellers reject him for his human half. The humans don't trust him because of his Atlantean half. So he's got a foot in each world, not accepted by either one, which makes him the ultimate outsider, <laughs> which is why he feels like such a loner, uh, particularly in this story. So, I'm sure that his involvement will get ramped up as the, this issue ends. He's um, he goes and he rescues the uh, the survivors of the Esperanza, and then he heads toward um, where that artifact is, and it is in the shape of a sphere. Uh, I forgot to mention that, um, but we'll get more and more Aquaman as this goes on. Uh, but I, I again, you know, it, it is a bit derivative, but the fantastic art by Christian Ward who does his own color work here. So you get the pinks and the purples and the blues that he's known for and the greens. Um, But I I didn't mind it because it was so entertaining and it was so fun. And it was, I I can't ever remember reading an Aquaman story that felt like it's leaning a little bit into sci-fi and a little, little into horror the way that this is. So I I really enjoyed it despite the fact that it felt uh, like it's borrowed from some other things uh, in the past, but uh, what I'm really hoping is that it completely swerves and isn't isn't at all what I what I'm thinking, uh, and Ron V pulls the rug out from under us. So that would be fantastic. So, I do recommend it. I mean, a lot of these black label books are just fun because of the creative freedom that it gives the uh, the creators because they don't. It's not in continuity. It doesn't matter what came before or what comes after. They just stand on their own. So,
1: and, and I just got to give a shout out to the cover. I mean, I actually think that in, in the deep darkness of the depths of the ocean, that is. This is this is a new look for Aquaman. He looks scary. He looks like the, the 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 glowing eye eyeballs there, and the and the and the gloomy dark orange, almost black hair. He he looks he looks more of like a he looks more like more like a horror version of Aquaman than a majestic Aquaman. Uh, this looks like more like a deep sea faring darker version of Aquaman on the cover and it's, it, it really, it really, yeah, it really got, like, works. Bar, yeah. He's
0: got like barnacles and stuff growing on him. It's really yeah. cool. Looking. Yeah. So, uh, all right, well, let's go ahead and move on next book. We're going to talk about the return of dark Knights of steel. Number seven. It feels like it's been a while <laughs> since issue six. Uh, this one's called United. It's written by Tom Taylor. Art is by Nathan Gooden colors by Arif Prianto letters by Wes Abbott. I'll talk about the art first. This Nathan Gooden, um, This is the first book that he's done uh, in terms of this series. I don't know if he's done other art at DC before. I'm not familiar with the name. Um, Yasmin Putri was doing the art before, and I feel like her art was a little bit better than this. It's not to say that the the storytelling is bad, uh, but I feel like sometimes the uh, proportions aren't quite right. There are times where the the perspective uh, kind of pulled me out of the story and the line weights are really thick. Um, so, uh, you know, it's just generally not art that I personally prefer, but the storytelling is solid um, and the color work is, is as strong as ever. Uh, we finally pivot back. It's been a couple issues. We didn't see Batman or Bruce Wayne or Prince Bruce or whatever you want to call him in issue six. Uh, we know that seemingly out of the blue, uh el betrayed him and stabbed him with a kryptonite spear and he fell to the earth and was rescued by the Kents. Uh, you know, not unlike a certain young boy in our own DC universe reality. Sure. Um, so we get a chance to meet the Kents and they're every bit the heroes that you would expect them to be, which I really enjoyed. They're also sheltering uh, members of the Teen Titans. Now, John Constantine made a deal with Ra's al Ghul, who is also the demon Etrigan, which I think is a really inspired choice and really interesting because Ra's al Ghul, the demon's head he's the demon here rather than Jason blood. It just all works really, really well. So, uh, Jacob, Jacob, however you want to pronounce it. Um, who was black King, black lightning King Jefferson Pierce's son who was killed and started all this political uh, unrest is actually brought back by Raza Ghul in, uh, Lazarus pit. The reason they can't bring back, and we talked about the last the reason they can't bring back the King himself is because his heart is missing. Um, but Jacob's not allowed to let himself be seen. Too many people saw him die. So he's got to work with Constantine to get revenge for his fr- father's death without letting anybody know that he's still alive. So how that's going to work, I guess we'll have to wait and see. In a payment for this, John Constantine has offered Ra's al Ghul the Titans. Well, the Titans aren't going to go quietly. And so when Razal al Ghul shows up at the Kent farm to take them, uh, Bruce sides with these kids, these teens, uh, against Ra's al Ghul. And... <laughs> Roz doesn't get his payment, but I'm sure he's not going to just let it go um, that easily. Uh, and it seems like the Titans are going to be on Bruce's side in the in, in the coming war. And what exactly that means, I guess we'll have to wait and see. We only have five issues of this left, uh, and it seems really messy and uh, a lot yet to be decided. And it wouldn't surprise me at all, especially based on the sales success of this. If we see more Dark Knights of Steel coming, just like Tom Taylor's deceased, you know, okay, let's give them the first series and we'll see how it does. That ended up being a trilogy of series plus some digital first stuff and what have you. And it actually just got announced. I think it was either Friday or maybe it was uh, Monday today as we're recording this, that there's going to be a dark Knights of steel prequel coming where we see this, this world, this reality, uh, much earlier, uh, before the Kents take power or, uh, the, the L's take power actually. Um, so it seems like we're going to be getting more content in this uh, environment, and it makes sense. Uh, this version of the DC universe uh, is is interesting and intriguing. And Rocky and I both wondered aloud uh, when we reviewed the first issue. Well, I can't believe nobody's thought of this before, right? Tom Taylor's good at that sort of thing, uh, mixing genres and uh, and coming up with these ideas that you're surprised haven't haven't existed before. Uh, so yeah, this was a this was a fun issue. Uh, I think my favorite moment was when Changeling turns into a dragon and he says, you know, I can turn into any animal I've ever seen. And believe me, I've seen some shit. Uh, I (laughs) thought that was really, really fun. I know you're not a big Beast Boy fan, but that moment was was fantastic. So, uh, yeah, this is probably the most I've been invested in this story. It's kind of been you know, a little better than average uh, for me, but it hasn't been something where I've like really anticipated the next issue. Uh, but yeah, I, I think this is the issue that I enjoyed the most. Uh, I thought it was action packed, really well paced and got a big chunk of story. So what'd you think?
1: Yeah, I agree. And, uh, it's nice to see Beast Boy get some love because he never got a lot of love in the first issue of Dark Crisis number one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, uh, and, uh, you know, you guys can go to listen or review and read that for yourself. But yeah, I, I, enjoy, I, I enjoyed this. I, uh, Raza Gall here. Uh, Tom Taylor has, uh. Has a is having fun with this. Uh, we know that he's sort of combined the Joker and Lex Luthor, and and kind of Green Lantern into one massive kind of villain, the Green Man in this particular series. In this case, he has merged Ra's and the demon Etrigan, so Ra's is actually the demon. And so there's a, there's an overlap there in some of the mythologies, and it's kind of uh, a nice, interesting take there. I it's curious that John Constantine. Why does John Constantine? Why did he think he he had any right to negotiate for the the lives of Teen Titans? What's the relationship between Teen Titans and John Constantine? What what would why would Ra's think that John Constantine had any authority on the on the Teen Titans in in this? Uh, that that was not clear to me. Uh, that didn't make a lot of sense, uh, but in any event, I like the the hints here. Uh, Dick Grayson shows up looking for, uh, of course, Batman here, uh, Sir Batman or whatever Sir Bat, and that uh, you can already see the uh, the antagonism between Starfire and a young Dick Grayson, and uh, so you can you can see. Uh, I really like the Teen Titans showing up here. I actually love. Jonathan and Martha Kent, I mean, they're they're fighters, they're soldiers, they're warriors. And they even hinted that they, they were they they once befriended and, and raised a young Arthur Curry, a young Aquaman. They there was allusions yeah. to that as well. So the I really like how Tom Taylor is sort of, you know you know, a lot of this stuff almost it almost it might seem very predictable like the stuff almost writes itself which is why as you said i mean it's like hard to believe this hasn't been done before but it should be done now and i'm glad it's being done now and i'm glad it's being done by tom taylor because you can't get a better character writer and a writer who currently has he has the best understanding of the of the of characters of the dc universe and it and he can get away with twisting them a little bit because uh, this is, of course, in a completely different medieval-like setting, and it really does work. And I agree with you; the art here is fantastic. I'm I'm really intrigued about where this is going. It's quite obvious that uh, yeah, that uh, what what happens with you know uh, Batman here at the end is told. You know he wants to avoid going back home, back to the kingdom, but you know Martha tells him I mean look you got to go back I mean you're you have a destiny here so it's you know she's saying you you because ha- I mean Batman here isn't in, is, is inclined not to go back because you know he he knows that he feels he's been betrayed obviously by by uh kalal Prince Kal but obviously we know that there's a a villain afoot and it's Probably maybe a Martian Manhunter who's the villain who's a shapeshifter of some kind. I mean, there's all kinds of theories going on there. That seems fairly obvious, but what does, does Tom Taylor have any misdirection planned for this series? I would think that he probably does. He likes to play with readers a little bit. Uh, I'm enjoying this, and as you said, you said the art, the art was a little wonky in parts, but it, it worked for me that it put a smile on my face. I continue to enjoy this title. This is definitely, in my view, one of the best of the week.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. I uh, can't, like I said, this was my, my favorite uh, issue of the series so far. So obviously I'm, I'm more invested than ever. So, uh, all right. Up next we have Monkey Prince, Big Stick of Energy, part one of four, written by Jean Luen Yang. Bernard Chang is the artist. Marcelo Maialo on colors, Janice Chiang on letters. What'd you think? Uh,
1: yeah, I, Okay, it's just coming up now here. Sorry, I'm just a few seconds behind. Uh, uh, Just to backtrack a little bit, I kind of like the premise of Monkey Prince. The writer uh, Jin Lun Yang has a little fun with this. Uh, monkey prince's parents are actually bad guys they work for various villains of the dc universe and so they kind of it's it's almost if they go from city to city working for different villains and in this particular you know they work for the penguin all uh in the in the first uh, four issues they had an adventure in gotham city and you know monkey prince here suspects you know batman told him that he knows that batman thinks that his parents were working for the penguin and so he's he's got some suspicion about the uh, about the um, you know the, the the moral fiber of his parents, but he sort of gives them the benefit of the doubt. Now they find themselves, you know, uh, I guess apparently working for Black Manta or applying for a job for Black Manta, and uh, here and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not really you know he's still the 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 love interest in the story. For the young monkey prince, and I'm—I always—I'm I'm sorry. Uh, Shun Shang is that his name? Yeah, I think so. Shun Shang. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're they're not. Amnesty. First name's
0: Mar- his first name's Marcus, and his last name's
1: yeah. Right, I'm Mark sure Marcus. Okay, so I'll call him. Yeah, Marcus. It is. They're in Amnesty Bay, and uh he's still calling the girl that uh, I guess. I guess his love interest from the from the when from when he was in Gotham City, and that uh I'm trying to. I always. I, I don't know this. I'm not familiar. I can't remember her name. Um, just trying to find it here. Yeah. I don't remember her name either. <laughs> yeah. It, in any event, it's the the character work is, is, is good. I mean, he's, he clearly, he still has, he, he has some affections for her. So he's contacting her. In the meantime, he comes across there. There's this other villain, uh, this villain that almost looks like a vampire version of Harley Quinn. Uh, and i'm not really um uh, i'm not entirely i'm not entirely certain exactly why this this vampiric entity is is going after marcus um i'm i'm not I'm, I'm assuming it's maybe related to some aspect because we know marcus just became monkey prince and maybe this is this particular character this villain is is from maybe chinese mythology too i'm not not really sure uh it's um uh, as i said it uh, interesting enough i guess it's there's it's action packed it is uh the art's really good i thought the uh action sequences flowed very well i am uh this uh i'm not again i'm not really sure. There's a trench character, he's in Amnesty Bay, um, and I, I'm not sure how this is linked with his mythology, that's the only thing that sort of throws me off a bit. So, I guess the the open question for me at the end of this issue, I never caught exactly how this this new character and this king of the trench that ends up showing up at the end in Amnesty Bay looking trying to take out monkey prince and then black manta ha- you know it's it, it's all very convenient all these all these you know <laughs> but but i guess that's what makes it fun it's a little tropey that way but it's fun his parents always end up working for the villains and then the monkey prince ends up ironically that seems to be a theme and maybe that's the central conceit of this series that makes it kind of interesting his parents always escape being apprehended by going from city to city, working for different supervision supervillains, only to end up having their plans disrupted and losing their supervillain jobs because their own son is one of the superheroes dis- that disrupts their boss's plans. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's kind of fun, I think. And Bernard Chang, I'm, I'm assuming that's what he's uh, part of. Me, uh, uh, Yun Lang is, is 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 working on here, but. Uh, Again, this I don't know if this comic is quite for me, but it's – he does have fun with it, and it is a fun read, and I, I'm starting to get accustomed to his humor. So what do you think? Yeah, uh, I guess you
0: were right. I think I w- you, we talked about it last time about Marcus not knowing that his parents were villains, and I was like, I, I think he does know. Uh, but yeah, it's very clear this issue that he doesn't. Um, so, yeah, there's something to be said for, OK, you know, he's a young hero and, you know, maybe he doesn't just, you know, get it. But, man, you, he, your parents were working for the <laughs> Penguin. Like, why did you think they were there, trapped? You know, we saw the, the, him, uh, Marcus, go and rescue him, teaming up with Batman and Robin last issue. So, man, I got to think you got to be a little more self-aware, dude. Your, your parents are, are villains or at least they're working for villains. Uh, and he is, you know, the light bulb is starting to go on, however, dim, uh, cause he, he sees Superman fly overhead as they're heading to Amnesty Bay and his parents hi- kind of hide. Um, and he thinks <laughs> yeah. most people, when Superman flies by, they look up, take a picture or whatever. My parents are hiding, you know, what's going on with that. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, but again, here, I'm going to use that phrase again, bit of a setup issue for what's to come. Um, now that he's moved to Amnesty Bay, but, uh. I feel bad for Marcus. You know, he's moving uh, all around, just, just finally made some friends. He moves around often, um, because of his parents' job, you know, unbeknownst to him. Uh, and he finally, he finally was able to make some friends at, uh, the last place he was at the last school at Gotham city. And now he's already moved on to Amnesty Bay, but, uh, based on the variant cover, it looks like we'll be getting a, a team up. He'll get a chance to, uh, spend some time with Aquaman going forward. So looking forward to that. Um, Again, uh, the strength of the series for me is always the fact that uh, Jin Nguyen Lang and, and Bernard Chang and this whole, you know, it's an all Asian creative team. Um, they're really diving into uh, to Chinese mythology for this story. And, uh, you know, I'm not that familiar with Chinese mythology at all. And so to have this uh, story be, you know, tied into that, I think is really interesting um, because, you know, again, I don't, Really, no Chinese mythology at all. So to have this uh, tie into that and and really, uh, you know, expose me to something I, I'm unfamiliar with is uh, is a lot of fun. So yeah, it's a, it's solid, definitely. Uh, okay, up next the book we're going to talk about is Flashpoint Beyond Number Two. This is the other event that's going on right now from DC Comics, written by Jeff Johns, Tim Sheridan, and Jeremy Adams. Zermanico and Michael Yannine uh, are the artists. Yanine handling pages 21 through 22. Uh, Jordi Blair colors those pages. Romulo Fajardo Jr. colors the rest. And Rob Lee is on letters. Uh, the Clockwork Killer, Chapter 2, Gilda the Good Witch. So I wasn't 100% excited after the first issue. Like I, I'm kind of wondering like and, – and I think – we both said this, Rocky, when we reviewed the first issue. Like, why, why does this exist? Like, wh- why did we need to go back to the Flashpoint Beyond Universe? Why is this good or fun or, or whatever? Um, but after this second issue, um, I'm finding that uh, maybe I'm enjoying it more than I, than I thought. Uh, maybe it's just the fact that um, Thomas Wayne... The, the Batman of this reality is such a, he's such a damaged figure in a lot of ways. um And, you know, he, with what Tom King did with him and, and, you know, a lot of people didn't like it. I kind of go back and forth. I understood what Tom King was trying to do with, uh, with Thomas Wayne Batman in, in his Batman run. um So I feel like Jeff Johns is really, exploring i mean more than anything this so far at least feels like a batman beyond or a batman thomas wayne batman story um and if only because of what a complicated character he is i am really enjoying that as he's finding out he you know he even says i'm not the detective that my you know son is you know he's he's maybe falling for some things uh, that he shouldn't and we saw that as uh, aquaman king aquaman got killed last issue I also love the idea that we're leaning into uh, Roger Hayden, the uh, the psychopirate. How he's the the one guy, right? Who, um, who always re- remembers reality as it is supposed to be. Uh, so I find that to be uh, intriguing as well. So there's a lot to like here. Uh, I think the art by Zermonico is not his his best work. It's solid, um, but I, I'm really enjoying this. Uh, I love that uh, we're getting. Th- all these different complicated sides of who uh, Thomas Wayne is. We're being constantly reminded of those here in the story. Um, I think he's a great protagonist and not only a great protagonist, he's such a great person to narrate this story, right? Because he, he remembers he, along with psycho pirate, are maybe the only two that realize, Hey, this reality shouldn't be, shouldn't exist. And, you know, he already, I don't know, is maybe morally ambiguous, Uh, character. You know, he's already been that in a lot of ways Uh, but the other part of this is well when you take somebody like that who's already morally ambiguous and then you add in the fact that he thinks this reality doesn't really matter or shouldn't exist so there's not really any consequences for his actions Uh, you know, he feels like he can do anything because it won't matter. I can kill people because they shouldn't exist anyway. Uh, I mean, there's a real fascination to that for me. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you're giving this guy who again, already has questionable moral judgment. You're giving him carte blanche to do whatever the hell he wants. So, uh, fascinating because in the back of his mind, he holds up this ideal of who Batman is the Batman of, of, you know, the regular DC reality of his son. He spent so much time there. And again, it adds in that, uh, idea of who he was, um, in that Tom King run. And, you know, he feels like he needs to make up for some of those choices that he made. Um, so, yeah, I, again, I, I think this is a really, this is a really good event and I'm really enjoying
1: it. Yeah.
0: What, what'd you think?
1: Well, uh, to Thomas Wayne, Batman, nothing matters. So he yeah. feels that, 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 that this, the if you're living in a, in a world that shouldn't exist, he doesn't care if he's got to kill somebody because he wants to destroy the world that he's living in because it, he, in his mind, it's not supposed to exist. If it exists, then maybe his son doesn't exist. Maybe it's going to compromise everything else. He knows that the Flashpoint paradox, the Flashpoint world, shouldn't exist. And so that's why in his mind, nothing matters. And you can't blame him for thinking that. And there's a scene here where, I mean, he, he almost kills the equivalent of, of Captain Boomerang here, of the Flashpoint Captain Boomerang. He just doesn't care because nothing matters to him. Yeah, when he hears that side- Psycho Pirate is in prison, and he right away he knows Roger Hayden. Ah, all, is, is Roger Hayden might know something about the Clockwork Killer. All the victims of the Clockwork Killer, of course, uh, know something about time travel, quantum mechanics. Might know something about the multiverse. Somebody's killing people with knowledge of the multiverse or, or time travel. So, and when he, and when Roger Hayden ends up being in, found in his cell, having committed suicide. Well, that that's very suspicious to him, and there's a there's very interesting writings on the wall that he that he uh, notices, and it um, you know it's interesting, and, and he's not sure what it means. You know, the chilled minder has the lost children. Pariah is like all the others. What does this mean? There's a reference to Judy Carrick, Judy Garrick, which is Jay Garrick. The flashes wife i believe from uh the classic earth Two. why is she mentioned so the, the you know there's all these little classic jeff johns you know planting all these little easter eggs that you know even with astute readers like ourselves i mean what's going on here but it's interesting because you know jeff johns has a plan here because so there's something in this for everyone uh gilda uh, uh gilda dent who is in 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 uh, in Arkham Asylum, you know, she has a conversation with Thomas Wayne. Gilda Dent, who was the, uh, not the cellmate, but was in the cell next to Psycho Pirate when Psycho Pirate hung himself, you know, bat, Thomas Wayne talks to her and and she uses this sort of gold Thomas Wayne and, and, and says, you know, talks about the death of her daughter, how her daughter hung herself uh, or and was was cremated and, uh, and uh, she talks about loss and that, Everything matters, and Thomas Wayne is like uh, everything. You know, Thomas Wayne doesn't care. This is a Thomas Wayne that is jaded and upset, and he. But yet, Thomas Wayne has doubts by the end of this issue. He says, "You know what? If if this isn't supposed to happen, if this world isn't doesn't exist, then why does it feel so real? It feels so real to him. So he's starting to have doubts already, despite the fact that he doesn't seem to care. Nothing matters. He even tells the Penguin to go ahead, teach Dexter." Dent how to use explosives. Who cares? Whatever. I mean, in Penguins already taught Dexter, Two Face's son, on how to shoot a you know on how to shoot a gun. You might as well teach him how to use explosives too. But by the end here, uh, just a, as a callback, remember back you know fault with the DC Omniverse, everything matters. Clearly, the the juxtaposition of the nothing matters versus the everything matters, where the Superman of the Flashpoint Paradox shows up at the end. And stops uh, Thomas Wayne from killing uh captain boomerang and 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 he says to him, "You know I heard you uh I heard you, you're wrong, everything matters so leave it to Superman to show up to remind Thomas Wayne in flashpoint in this flashpoint world that everything matters but so it 's really interesting, what does this Superman know? Where's this Superman been because he just sort of flew off and disappeared at the end of uh the flashpoint story if I recall uh, I stand to be corrected on that, but it 's going to be really curious this is a this Superman initially was very skinny because he was isolated in darkness through most of his life but he's you could tell this Superman or the way he 's artistically drawn, you could tell he 's gotten some solar powers some. His time in the sunlight, he's not as skinny as he once was. He's getting more bulkier, and and his eyes are glowing. He's coming more acclimated to his power. so it's very interesting in that respect. And finally, at the end, we have the t- Bruce Wayne Batman on our on on the mainstream DC Universe Earth, uh, talking to, uh, um, <laughs> I forget that character's name. Uh, it was on the tip of my tongue but uh, the, the the one Time Master, one of the members of the Time Master there, uh, talking about the snow globe. Apparently the owner of the snow globe is uh, is somebody that's going to be awfully upset with Batman. And there's links here and hints of Dr. Manhattan and Janie's Watch from the Watchmen. And so it's really interesting that the next issue is, is called The Secret of the Superman. And so we're going to be getting, we'll probably be getting the the story of what happened to superman in flashpoint and so i'm i'm really enjoying this uh i don't know to what extent tim sheridan and jeremy adams and jeff johns how they're splitting the writing chores this still very much reads and feels like a jeff johns dialogue scripted story uh but i have to say uh in fairness to Tim Sheridan and, and Jeremy Adams, if this is a genuine collaboration, they've all done a really good job here. If, uh, I'd be curious to know who handled the dialogue and, uh, in the various pages, because I think this is, a, this is an effective collaboration. And I, I hope that uh, Tim Sheridan in particular, uh, you know, sort of this raises their, the level of their of their uh, of their writing.
0: Yeah, I'm enjoying this uh, as well. Um, uh, again, the, the, the whole idea of this morally ambiguous Batman, with you know carte blanche to do whatever he wants. Uh, but one thing I I want to point out: it, Jay Garrick's wife's name, Joan, not Judy. So I don't know who that Judy. Oh, I don't know who that Judy could be. Like I first when I first read it, I was thinking that. Um. That Dr. Manhattan's girlfriend was named – with the watch was named Judy. But then right. at the end, Corky – Corky Baxter, that's his name, the, the time master, the kid. Um, he, he says, Janie Slater. And I'm like, oh, that's right. Her name was Janie. So who the heck is this Judy? The only Judy I know or I can think of is Punch and Judy, um, which is sort of what the mime and marionette are, um, are based on. That's the only Judy I can think of in the sure. DC universe. So yeah, I, I don't know. I guess we'll have yeah, to wait. see. You make to see a good point.
1: Up. Maybe 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 Judy could be the daughter of Jay and uh, maybe a daughter of uh, Jay Garrick. Then maybe who yeah, knows? I, yeah, but... I don't
0: know. But again, um, Thomas Wayne trying to be a detective is, is so fun. Uh, you know, I, I didn't mention it, but I think my favorite page in the whole issue was the time traveler murders when Thomas Wayne comes back from Europe after. Uh, inadvertently <laughs> enabling wonder woman to kill arthur curry aquaman uh he's, he's like oh well while, while i was lured out of the country there are three more murders and these people are killed and they're all people that have the ability to, to travel or something to do with tachyons um but in in the flashpoint reality never fulfilled their potential if, if you will so nathaniel adams who we know as captain Matt adam in our reality matthew Ryder, who is wave rider in our reality part you know time traveling um, yeah. And then uh, the last guy is uh, uh, Percival Sutter, who's Doctor Time, uh, and then obviously Barry Allen as well. Um, and yeah, he's uh, Thomas Wayne, he says, yeah, maybe uh, my son would have figured it out. He's younger, he's smarter, he's methodical. I'm old, angry, and reckless. <laughs> so, yeah,
1: it's, it's yeah, very true, it. and it's it's yeah. uh, the, the the differences is, is, is the differences between the two Batman is emphasized here and a good effect. I want to point out something you mentioned. But you never elaborated on. Uh, but the the title, uh, Gilda the Good Witch. What a curious title for this issue. We we got a lot of Gilda here. A very interesting dialogue and discussion between Thomas Wayne and Gilda, who's Harvey Dent's wife. Harvey Dent, of course, now being dead, and uh, curious about her son. Her daughter is dead. Why is this called Gilda the Good Witch? This Gilda doesn't seem particularly like she's necessarily good. So I thought I think that's a very curious title. And I'm sure there's a reason why 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 this issue is called Gilda the Good Witch. I'm wondering, does I uh, we don't understand that there's going to be a, a bad witch popping up at some point? Or, anyways, I found that curious. Do you have any ideas about that? I, I
0: have no clue, um, but I know it's <laughs> I know it's purposeful because the other thing that I noticed when I was reading it, and I meant to mention this or ask you about it. So when Bruce Wayne go or Thomas Wayne goes to Arkham Asylum to talk to psycho pirate Roger Hayden and finds him dead and scribblings on the wall. I'm not the real psycho pirate, blah, blah, blah. He does go to the cell next door, which is where Gilda is. Um, You know, two faces uh, Harvey Dent's wife. Um, And he's there and uh, she's there. And Thomas Wayne's asking, do you know what happened? Did you hear anything? You know, he's looking for clues. And while he has this conversation with Gilda halfway through, She's not Gilda. Halfway through, she's got Gilda's got long blonde hair. Halfway through the conversation, she's got this short red hair, and I noticed it right away when I was reading it, and I was like, "Who is that supposed to be?" Martha Kent, or Martha Wayne, rather, is Thomas sure. like protecting, like he's talking to his own wife? Because obviously, there's parallels there, right, with Harvey Dent um, and Gilda.
1: You know, his wife went crazy. Thomas yeah, that's, Wayne. That's interesting because yeah. so I, yeah, she does have red hair. Yes, yeah, can catch. Short, I can't believe like, I missed so, that. Yeah, so who
0: is that that Thomas Wayne is? Is that is that Janie Slater? I don't remember her having red hair. I I don't know who it is, but that's got to be purpose purposeful. That's
1: not some kind of yeah. editorial mistake. Well, I'm that's, surprised Thomas Wayne. Like I'm surprised Thomas Wayne, Batman never mentioned anything. Well, uh,
0: I, I my my take was that he's. That Thomas Wayne is projecting, you know, like he maybe he's talking to Gilda, but he's seeing his, he's seeing Martha Wayne. Like I, I, again, I don't know who that, who that is because, you know, look at what she says in those panels. It started before your son's death, didn't it? You know, so it's like, you know, and we know that Martha Wayne always blamed Thomas Wayne for the death. Was it your drinking or sleeping around? Again, something that Martha Wayne may have been saying to her, to her husband. Oh, that or might have been
1: just, right,
0: yeah, or did you just ignore her? you know did did Martha Wayne feel neglected right. so is 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 Thomas Wayne seeing Martha Wayne in those right. moments because Gilda's saying things that Martha Wayne herself said, like again, I, I don't know for right. sure that's I, I, I'm sure I, yeah, yeah. That's a that's, that's a very
1: astute observation and and I think you're right, I think that that's Thomas Wayne uh, seeing his wife when he looks at Gilda. I, yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh because, you know, was it just was it you're drinking or sleeping around and so well, it sort of throws more more doubt on on the so-called uh, pristineness. so even even before he became Flashpoint Batman, Thomas Wayne was not was not a perfect was quite a flawed human being. He was perhaps not the yeah, perfect this, husband. Yeah. In this reality for sure, in the regular DC reality, he started off as this like
0: Huge, heroic, like, patron figure. And then over the years, as various writers have wanted to, sure. you know, make things more interesting, they've definitely made him more flawed as a character. I don't know how I feel about that.
1: Yeah. Uh, but either way,
0: one thing you can count on is things like that from uh, Jeff Johns, Planting Little, things like that. Um, and just like you said about the whole, you know, Guild of the Good Witch, I'm I'm sure by the time this series is over, we'll look back and go, oh, that's exactly what it meant. We'll We'll, you know. John's plants the seeds and then pays them off very, very well. Uh, And, you know, I'm not, not, I'm not bad mouthing anybody. um, But the other uh, writer that I feel like plants seeds very, very well is Jonathan Hickman, but Hickman doesn't always pay them off. But in fairness to Jonathan Hickman, he plants way more seeds and then just doesn't have the real estate to pay them all off. Mm -hmm. Jeff Johns plants fewer seeds. And I feel like he only plants ones he knows he's going to have the space to pay off. So But yeah, those two are very similar in that way. Uh, Okay. Up next, we have Nubia, Queen of the Amazons, number one, New Beginnings, written by writer Stephanie Williams, Aletha Martinez is the penciler, Mark Morales, John Libesay, and Aletha Martinez handle the inks, Alex Guamara's on colors, and Becca Carey on letters. What did you think of this debut? Uh,
1: I... You know, it's sad. I, I spoke to my retailer and, uh, he, nobody on the, he had, nobody in the shop put this on his pull list, uh, uh, except for me because I'm a, I'm a completionist and I'm, I'm a Wonder Woman fan. And so, um, I just think that's kind of sad. Although I have to admit that, um, uh, well, let's just get right into it, uh, I actually thought the that uh leading into uh uh leading into Nubia the the idea that uh, I'm not even sure what other issue it was the the sort of like the origin of Nubia uh is interesting cuz she has an amulet that where the origin of Nubia is that could, you know her past life that her life that she had prior to becoming an amazon and her soul coming up through the well of souls she was i guess she was a princess herself and she had an amulet, and when she came through the Well of Sol, Well of Souls to and is ultimately a queen, uh, this this amulet that she has, she now wears it as a symbol. And and uh I should say that there's this out of the blue here, just out of the blue in this story, all of a sudden we're we're shown this villain who sees Queen Nubia talking on behalf of uh of Themyscira, opening up Themyscira to the world, welcoming the world of Themyscira. Uh, very clearly, a uh, writer here, Stephanie Williams, is making it clear that Themyscira, Themyscira's relationship with the DC Universe is going to be very different. Uh, the Amazons are going to be more open to the world, and the, the goal here for the Amazons, and it's, this is called New Beginnings, is that the Amazons now want to be more active in, in man's world. And they want to fight uh, and deal with the abuse that women have suffered from all over the world. This is very much a gender-specific agenda that she has in opening up Themyscira to the world. Um, and just as, a, just as a quick aside, what, I think it's a little bit tropey and very disappointing. I, I, think, I think a huge missed opportunity was here, and I've said this before and I'm going to say it again if you're for equality and you're bringing peace and you've got all this wisdom through thousands of years uh, you've uh, and you're, you're you're you're, you want to preach something to man's world and you want to make our world better coming to our world and telling and, and having a specific agenda of just helping the women who are abused. And that's, I, I, I just, it just seems to me to be somewhat a little bit limited in, in scope. I, and 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 I think that I think Stephanie Williams have s- has sort of, in my view, she missed an opportunity here. I always understood that the Amazons wanted to create uh, peace and equality, and they wanted rights for women. And this is this is a little bit. Um, I, I just wish it was a little bit more um, welcoming to all. And uh, I think there's a there's an opportunity that's missed here. But I, I don't want to focus too much on that. The fact is. Uh, I do think I want to give some credit. I the uh, I enjoy the art here, the art by uh Alisa Martinez. I'm enjoying it. I, I I enjoy it. Uh the the colors here uh penciler actually Mark Morales the, uh, on the uh, Alisa's a
0: penciler Morales, Livesey, and, and Martinez handle inks.
1: Thank you. Uh that's right. And the colors Alexis uh Gu- Yeah, Gilmar, Alex Gomaras, yeah. Yeah uh it's it's really good i it's well done i i wish you know one thing that stephanie williams has done well here is that she's clearly had her artists draw many different she's really sort of expanded sort of like the we see a lot of the mascara we see a lot of the amazons on the mascara interacting with each other and conversing with each other i think we see too much dialogue and too much conversing and not enough plot progression, but there is i would we're definitely getting a strong sense of what Themiscara is like, and so i 'll give her props for that. I still think that some work needs to be done in moving the moving the the plot forward uh because i don't i don 't find it quite exciting enough it's again beautiful art and we 're seeing these amazons in Iraq and everything else but there's a little bit of a disconnect they 've been They've existed for thousands of years, and yet they still kind of look like they're glorified Romans. And yet they clearly have advancements in technology and everything else. And and yet they they kind of live like they're they're so tribal. And I know they've always been that way, but I wish there was just a little bit more of a recognition that they're part of a larger world here. And and that where's the influence of humanity on the Amazons? And maybe I'm being a little bit harsher, but I'd like to see a little bit more of that. Um uh but I've I've always been a little harsher critic when it comes to, to, to Themiscara. But uh Hawk Girl ends up asking to join uh H- Hawkgirl ends up asking to join Queen Nubia and uh her and uh, you know Queen Nubia goes, you know, to the Hall of Justice and you know meets obviously meets all the heroes and Hawkgirl wants to get involved. So I like the fact that we're gonna we have Hawkgirl. Kendra Saunders being part of the Amazons. I think Kendra Saunders would be kind of a good fit, so I kind of like that. I like Stephanie Williams sort of broadening the appeal getting some members of the Justice League in there um i'm I'm curious to know what the amulet amulet means for uh for Nubia how it's connected to her past. I think that there's a lot of uh potential there, but this issue was. Uh, again, we don't get a lot of actual movement of the plot. Very slow going, just frankly like the original series, Nubia series. I don't know why we just didn't continue the previous series, why they needed to start over from number one. Uh, She was queen, Nubia, queen of the Amazon. She was queen before. There was no need to restart the series, but I know the sales weren't that good, so maybe a new number one will reignite some interest in this title. That's what I hope. I mean, let's be positive on this. Uh, This new villain Looks kind of interesting. Not really sure what what the what the tie is, tie in is here. The Amazon seem to be fighting, trying to preserve the environment, and yet also trying to fight abuse against women. It's it seems a little bit too tropey to me. But uh, I wish I wish it was less tropey. I wish that we had more of a handle on it, specifically what the plot is. I'm not even sure who the bad guy is supposed to be, and but I'm willing to um I've already Stephanie Williams has already played her hand and I'm I was disappointed with nothing coming happening with Medusa. That was really a, a missed opportunity. And that's sort of squandered. Very, very disappointed with trial of the Amazons. And now with this, I'm not really sure where this is headed for. I still don't understand. Why does Queen Nubia? Why do we need Queen Nubia in man's world? You're a queen. This doesn't. I'm sorry. This doesn't make any sense to me. You're a queen. It, it's not your job to go out into the world. You, you've got a Wonder Woman. You appoint people to do that. You're a queen. You don't do it yourself. That doesn't make. Um, that lacks some verisimilitude for me. Um, I think there's a misunderstanding of the politics of Themyscira. It's not a democracy. It shouldn't be like a democracy. You're a queen. It's a dictatorship. It's. 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 That's not. I don't. I don't like. With Stephanie Williams playing fast and loose, trying to introduce our real-world politics on Themyscira when it's when it's when it's a monarchy, to me you you don't see them doing that. You, they're not changing Wakanda over in Marvel in order to to, sit, to fit the confines of the of, of our governments here. And I just think this 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 I think this title it's losing some of its uniqueness uh, uh, because of. Um, trying to maybe make the mascara into something that traditionally it isn't. And I think that an opportunity is being missed here to really explore some really interesting issues with the mascara, And I wish they weren't afraid to rock the boat so much, but in any event at some point i'm going to do a i'm going to do a long video on this i know I, i'm probably not making my point clear but there's so much potential for the wonder woman mythology and it's just being it's a squandered and missed opportunity in my mind although i give folk props to her for we're seeing more of the mascara but we need to see uh, a different kind of uh, we, i want to see more of a game of thrones type of approach here and doing a, I, I want less of this I just refuse to believe that all these Amazons get along with each other. There should be more intrigue. There should be more manipulation. There, there should be more betrayal. There should be more uh, people that they shouldn't get along so much as well as they do. So much potential for drama, uh, and it's just it's lackluster. Right. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm.
0: <laughs> I feel that it's like I sort of don't know what the point of this is. You know, like this doesn't feel like, okay, well, we just got through with, you know, a tr- trial of the Amazons. Um, you know, maybe I'd, I'd, I – and I get your point about her not going out into man's world, her responsibilities to her, uh, you know, kingdom back at home. But at the same time, um, I, I kind of understand if, if they're opening up the gates of Themyscira and you need to um, be able to do, you know, a little more – PR, I guess, as it were, I mean, you could, I guess analogous here is like our, our president goes and visits on other countries. Yeah. So I could see it working on that level. But yeah, at the same time, it's like, it, this doesn't feel like it's building on anything that we got in trial of the Amazons or anything that came before. Although, you know, I've said before that I think Nubia is, you know, maybe more interesting or has more potential currently than Diana does as Wonder Woman, but maybe, that, maybe that's just uh i feel like they haven't written diana correctly she hasn't got, she hasn't gotten her due uh either so i, I don't know it's it's problematic um the uh, the art's good i'll say that and it's not a bad comic you know it's technically well put together and it's got some setup and and interesting but it, it it doesn't feel connected to anything that's come before so it's it's like the problem i have with wonder woman lately you know and again this isn't necessarily wonder woman but it's wonder woman adjacent but just that, you know, Wonder Woman and and you know her derivative characters and and allies and what have you. It's like we keep getting all these new beginnings, right? This is even called new beginnings.
1: <laughs>
0: and, Another and, a bold new era, <laughs> right? Exactly, and it's all filled with promise. Like I remember, I go back to when I read the first um, Marika Tamaki uh, issue of Wonder Woman. I, I praised it to no end, thinking, okay, finally we're going to get a, a modern wonder woman take that's going to bring in new uh readers and it's going to give diana her due and treat her with the respect she deserves and whatnot and then it it fizzled so I, i was shocked it fell off a cliff so quickly you wouldn't think you could go from good to bad that quick um and then all of a sudden it was well no after uh the events of of death metal then you know diana's dead or everybody thinks she's dead or what have you. And we're going to get a, a different you know, version and it's going to be better. And then that didn't come to fruition. You know, uh, the, the version that, um, a Rad did, you know, again, we both really liked the first issue, but then it tra- the, the whole story of going through the different uh, myth- mythological, uh, planes, it, it went on too long and it didn't work. But, but we looked forward to Trial of the Amazons. Okay, now it's going to be – now Trial of the Amazons. Okay. And then that didn't live up to its potential. And now, again, we've got new beginnings again. Um, and, I, you know, to be fair, I said it doesn't have anything to do, build on anything from Trial of the Amazons. It does do one thing. Trial of the Amazons did bring the tribes together, and it's clear that they are together, you know, and Rocky even alluded to it, like, maybe they shouldn't be as together as they are because we certainly had a lot of drama at the beginning of Trial of the Amazons and you put a bunch of people together from different walks of life and yes i guess, get i get that they're all amazons but they were raised in three very different worlds in a lot of ways yeah. three different sort of societal you know versions of the same species you know if you want to think of amazons amazonians as species <laughs> but they're all getting along like that doesn't really last. Like nobody's gonna like everybody. There's it's not believable. It,
1: it lacks some yeah. verisimilitude in my yeah. mind. Because of yeah, yeah,
0: a hundred percent. So you know, in fairness, it does build on that aspect of of Trial of the Amazons. Um, but yeah, it's not. It doesn't have a you know doesn't have a ring of truth. So again, jury's still out on this. I, I definitely have liked what Stephanie Williams has done with Nubia in the past. Um, so again, it's not a bad comic. It, just right now, I'm just feeling like. Man, how many false starts are we going to get? Is this going to, is this going to be the one that that takes? You know, I didn't even mention Yara Flora. Her, her series, her TV show, got announced and then canceled before it even got off the ground. And the Joel Jones series fizzled, chronically late. We got what five or six issues of that. <laughs> so, man, it's like, can we get a Wonder Woman property that you know gets it to do and, and delivers? That's what we're waiting on. So if anybody can do it, I have faith that Stephanie Williams and Aletha Martinez can do it because I really enjoyed uh, – and I think you alluded to the story where – you're know, talking about the amulet. It was a backup in one of the future state – it might have been uh, the Yara floor, future state Wonder Girl. Anyway, it was one of the backup stories that was by this creative team, Stephanie Williams and Aletha Martinez, where she got the amulet. Remember, she fought – the. she went to that – nightclub in the future with that her aunt ran and whatever. Philippus. So yeah, this has potential. It definitely has potential, but I'm, I'm, you know, I don't mean to sound terrible like I'm beating up on DC, but I'm sort of tired of Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman uh, ally characters having potential for great series. I need the great series. Like eventually you have to deliver, right? It's like, it's like being a, a rookie in baseball or football or whatever. It's like, you only get so many chances. Like you're the number one rated prospect, they'll call you up, and you know if you strike out four or five times in a game, you can only do that so many times before. That, guess what? You're not. You're not. You don't have potential anymore. You have not lived up to your potential. You have failed. So uh, we need we need one of these titles to deliver eventually. Because uh, again, the, the Yara floor, Joel Jones had tons of potential. Trial of the Amazons had ton, ton, tons of potential. Yep. Eventually, you have to deliver. So. No, uh, okay. Up next, we have uh, Multiversity Teen Justice number one. It's written by Ivan Cohen and Danny Lore. Art is by Marco Faia. Colors by Enrica Aaron Angiolini. Letters by Carlos M. Manguel. Now, we got the debut of this team, this Multiversity Teen Justice, in the uh, Mary Multiverse number one that came out last year. And we even get a full page splash of this the multiversity uh flash i think her, i can't remember what her name is i want to say
1: yeah Jessie? bolt yeah uh, yeah maybe it's not it's not bolt yeah, is it
0: no and it's not avery cuz that's the other multiversity flash but this is the anyway this is the one that in a relationship with Andy Curry and some that, stories and whatnot. Is that Alisa? Uh,
1: is that Alisa? Maybe no, that's not um, that's what it. Sorry. No. A-
0: anyway, she. We have a full page splash of her, and she goes. Oh, by the way, this is was our uh, where our first appearance was, and it's reprinted here uh, at no extra charge. So I do like that they they're they're giving us the, the reprint. Um, now this very much has the tone and feel of Mur- multiversity, which was the Grant Morrison series back in whatever it was 2013, 2014. Even the Uh, A lot of the trade dress calls back that multiversity, whatever. So I say all that to say this. This is not my cup of tea. The the multiversity, Grant Morrison stuff, I I didn't really care for. Uh, There aren't any of these characters that feel particularly interesting to me. Everybody's gender bent, which I suppose is interesting to some people. I could take it or leave it. It feels unnecessary to me. and so, yeah, I didn't really get much out of this. It definitely was my least favorite book of the week. Um, don't know what – it's again, it's just not for me. I don't, I don't know why it's coming out now. I feel like it's a little confusing with Dark Crisis coming out, and now we're – I don't know. I just feel like it could confuse people. So I didn't really care for it. Uh, I kind of struggled to get through it, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, apparently they're from a world where every person who's a male – in our reality as a female in this reality we have sinestra uh Kilowog is still Kilowog. interestingly enough male or female um but yeah this just didn't it's just yeah it was a it was a slog to get through for me i just didn't enjoy it so uh give us your thoughts rocky while i look up that flash's name
1: that's gonna <laughs> yeah, bug both but, of us
0: yeah
1: yeah well i you know i uh, i will say that the when my my first introduction to the my, my, my first introduction to this, uh, multiverse, this earth 11 group of teen Titans. Uh, I actually, I actually in, in like the, in that it was in that special, it was in the DC's very merry multiverse issue one in 2020. Uh, it was much better. Uh, and it was also written by Ivan Cohen. And, uh, but, uh, I, you know, I just liked it better because it was actually funny and it actually was, I'm I'm very glad that they introduced or or that they included that story in this issue for free and that they didn't, they're not charging more for it because I think it's important because it's actually much better written and it's funnier and it actually explains and links and explains who some of these characters are because it actually has the names of some of the characters that i i had to go and i had to read the second story first so people if you're picking this up this multiversity teen justice i would suggest you read the second story first before you read the first one this first story i thought was uh, uh, was very confusing to me i i didn't really i couldn't get a handle on the characters there was they were whiny they i felt they were they were talking there was far too much dialogue I I I didn't quite get a handle on I I think the big huge mistake of this teen justice is I I thought it was I I really think it was important you should have had the adults in the room I mean I, I want to know I want to sh- show me the parents this su- superwoman and the, the batwoman show those characters. I mean, I was more interested uh, Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad in an issue, I can't remember the issue of Wonder Woman about 6-7 months ago when we reviewed it, Wonder Woman ended up uh, being on Earth 11 and met met that the the female, you know, the the gender-switched versions of the Justice League. And that was kind of fun. It was a very kind of tropey over the top issue of there's a lot of misogyny with a typical male chauvinist villain character like a wonder man or whatever it was the bad guy but but it was it was actually it had its moments and it was i thought it was easier to catch on to i thought this was this was ex uh, they have a the villain here is is sister blood not brother blood and uh we have this this uh it's it follows this sort of purple haired Girl who ends up being, I think she's going to become a victim of the sister blood cult. At the end, she's invited to join the cult. In the meantime, throughout the throughout the issue, we've got we've got Troy, who is, I guess he's the male version of Donna Troy his name is is Troy. Uh, maybe his last name's Donna. Who knows? I just uh, just I don't know. It's just, again, it's very tropey. Um, the the interaction the the. Anti- I don't really understand why these the, the these Teen Titans, they seem to be they come across and maybe it's the way they're artistically rendered. I feel I I hate to say this, but I feel the same way about this as I do about uh 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 who's art who's the artist on Batgirls. I, I, I find the I find the art here to be these characters just seem too young to me. I, I'm not a big fan of the artistic style here. Um I, I'm just it, it doesn't it it's not my cup of tea uh these feel these feel like children bickering and fighting this doesn't feel like teenagers having you know it's it's it just felt off to me and uh it it just it it didn't work for me if if you're going to get me into earth 11 don't don't do it by showing me teen justice cuz this just seems like this just seems like just a straight-up gender switch, and I, I'm not really getting a handle on these these characters. And, you know, in the midst of this, this I mean, I, I'm not even entirely sure. In the midst of all this, they decide to have a baseball game as a team-building exercise, and I'm not even sure that they have a headquarters here. And um, this new girl in town, I'm not even sure, sh- this new girl in town is... I'm not even sure exactly what it is she's supposed to be doing but I just thought this was this this hit the ground running a little bit too fast for me. Um but having said that, I mean it's might be interesting to see where where it's going but this really needed to slow down. Again, I hate to say it but I get a sense that this was this was written to be this was written as a story 6 or 7 or 8 or 9 or 10 months ago and they had it on the back burner and they wanted to get rid of it, and they wanted to publish it, that's that's the strong sense I'm getting. This feels, uh, I'm not, I I hate to say it, but I'm not sure if this is going to find much of an audience. This didn't feel organically built up to me. I don't know if people just coming into this, they're going to think this is kind of a joke. They're going to be asking all these questions. Why is everything gender-swapped, gender-switched? And, you know, and again, uh, and I hate to say it, but all these tropey things where... You know, um, you've got your, you've got your same, you know, you got your, your same sex orientation, uh, between some of the characters here. And I'm not really sure why it just seems to be, it's just, it just feels off to me. And it's, again, it's, it doesn't feel like it's written for me. I get no vibes from Teen Titans reading this at all. I just don't. And, and it's so sad to say, but it's just missing it for me. And, um there's too many characters. It's not world building to me. This is just, I I feel like I've been dropped in the middle of action and I'm, I'm, I feel a little bit overwhelmed and it's trying to do so much too much all at once. And it just doesn't work for me, but um, you know, maybe it'll find an audience, but I, I I just can't see this being on my pull list to be honest.
0: Yeah. uh, It's unfortunate because you want people to like it. You want people to, you know, be into it. Um, uh, and multiversity by Grant Morrison certainly was, a um, it was a hit. Um, but yeah, this just maybe people will turn it. So I, I did look up that Flash's name. Jess chambers is her name. Um, so again, I, I, I yeah, I echo a lot of your sentiments. It just, maybe it's not for me. I, I'm not sure why it, just just failed um especially i did not know that these writers had done uh had done uh, stories on earth 11 in the past so yeah you would think that they would be a little i don't want to say they're unprepared but um i don't know it's just well
1: it's, why don't have an origin tale like why not have a, a little bit more of a background like slow down like a little bit of background tell us about earth 11 uh t- tell us I mean introduce us take your time what was the rush like I all, all this uh the I mean so many of these characters I mean they're just they're just they're just yelling at each other and they're angry half the time they're so angry and they're they're arguing and their actions are nonsensical and then out of the blue we got sister blood and and we got mostly you know it just, it just it's uh. A, a gender swap with no purpose, with with no story purpose, and that that's that's what disappoints me so much about this. I just like what's what's the point? This this seems so out of the blue. Of all the things we're we are we we're looking for it uh, for DC, we want some more. I guess I guess we're getting some variety, but I don't know. I guess a gender swap is that really a variety? It's to me, it feels like a cheat, but. <laughs> You know, I guess uh, you. I mean, if you if you can't sell Batman, maybe you can sell, you know, Batwoman. If you can't sell, I mean, Superman isn't selling, so I guess try selling Superwoman. But it's not; it's their children on Earth Eleven, and and you know, it's funny. I don't know why I'm bitching because I'm kind of getting what I want. I've always said let's have adventures of of characters on other Earths. Oh, I got having said that, I'll find, <laughs> of all the Earths I wanted adventures on this would have been the last thing i wanted was on on earth 11 i mean there's so many cool i mean show me an adventures of super demon or go to earth 23 with president superman or i mean there there's 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 so many interesting earths and to go with this i find just such a disappointing choice but you know but hey uh when you've got we've we're, Teen Titans are just hurting right now, man. The best we got, we we got Titans United. That was fantastic by Kevin, Kevin Scott. Teen Titans Academy was a disappointment. And uh while this is certainly better than Teen Titans Academy, I, I really hope this storytelling slows down and just, you know, let's focus on some characters here and get some world building and, and let let us get to know these individual characters on Earth Eleven more. Cause this is just this is just too much too messy. But uh, is it, is it, I thought for some reason, I thought this was a
0: one shot. Is it a, a limited? I I, I don't so, know. I mean, it uh, must be it, because we, we didn't get any sort of, well, I don't know. It felt like we got the middle of the story. We didn't really get the beginning. Well, we it's to be continued,
1: right? It's to be continued. Yeah. We
0: didn't, yeah, we didn't get any uh, resolution. So yeah, I guess, I mean, it doesn't say anything on the cover.
1: Yeah, awesome. no. Yeah, it doesn't. It just has pride on the cover, which yeah. you know uh I and and I and I just I'm just gonna I feel compelled to say this. Putting pride on the cover is a mistake. Because uh there there are people here that are not are not gonna pick it up. Because they're gonna think it's an anthology and it's another way to promote it, and they're gonna think it's they're gonna think it's not part of the of the mainstream DC continuity. Uh I've 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 talked and, I've talked to customers about this and this isn't about being anti this or anti that this is just this is a poor marketing thing in my mind this is this is a mistake this doesn't work and uh the sales show it and if you want to promote teen justice do so but you know um you know i i just it's it's such a it's such an odd thing to do that uh, you know uh, people are going to miss out on an opportunity with these new characters because they're thinking that this is just going to be, you know, buy this so that the, the, you know, because we're to support, to support pride. And, you know, there's, there's a growing contingent right now of people who are just feel tired. There's a perception of being pandered to, even if it isn't real. And the story, I'm, I'm the story isn't, it, I don't feel like the story pandered to that. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying it's just this, I think there's a there's a little bit too much of a heavy emphasis on it but people can disagree with me on that and I don't want to upset people's sensibilities in that regard but it just to me it just goes into some some of the curious choices DC is making but
0: yeah it's it's there's no right way to do it it's it's a hard balance to strike for sure uh anyway let's move on to the last book we're going to talk about in detail on this episode poison ivy number 1 uh, we alluded to it earlier when we talked about the backup. This is written by uh, G Willow Wilson. The art is by Marcio Takara. Colors by Arif Prianto. Letters by Hassan Atman Elhau. Uh, so yeah, this is uh, Ivy. Definitely back to her eco terrorist ways. She doesn't
1: pull any punches. Body count is high. What do you think? Um, uh, I uh, I want to give a shout out to Nerdet uh, Tristan at Nerdet's Newsstand. I, uh, I I I uh, she mentioned. Uh, I told her that we were going to be reviewing Poison Ivy and she's, she, she's a huge Poison Ivy fan. And I did, I was on a live stream with her yesterday on, uh, I was, I'm a lawyer by occupation. It was the first time I've ever done a live stream. And I was on her. we, we, we talked about the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp trial, it was a two and a half hour <laughs> live stream, and, and I was actually questioned on my, my, my legal knowledge, and it was, a, it was quite an interesting podcast, and uh, surprised how many people showed up for it, but in any event, uh, I didn't have the, uh, I'm going to apologize to her, uh, she, she was a little disappointed because she sort of asked me how it was, and I didn't want to burst her bubble, but the, I, I hate to say it, but I was a little disappointed with this. I really was a little disappointed with this opening issue, um, only because I think, and we alluded—I alluded to it before—that uh, I, I get, I feel this is very tropey. And uh, J. Willow Wilson is a good writer. This is actually a this is actually a decent opening issue. First, I want to give compliments to all the covers. The cover art is fantastic. Every cover here is beautiful. All the variant covers—you can't go wrong. Uh, for once, well, at least for me, uh, obviously, art subjective. I could randomly pick any of the of the of the four or five covers here. All of them are gorgeous. They're all gorgeous covers. To all, so I mean, kudos to DC. I mean, okay, the variant cover craze. The, the the cover's great. The art's great. Uh, this is a point. This is uh, essentially Pamela Isley. She really does. Uh, she does appear to be dying here. Uh, reading uh in in the backup of the batman issue that we reviewed batman 124 i never got the impression that pamela isley was dying simply that she was losing her powers as that she attained as queen ivy in the in the uh in the batman run uh in the in the fear state run but it appears apparently i guess she is dying Uh, but before she dies, she wants to, she wants to accomplish something and I'm not sure what it is she wants to accomplish, but it's something big and it's going to be something that's going to impact the world. Arguably many humans, humanity might be some, a large portion of humanity might end up dying. She clearly kills a number of people in, in, in this issue. Um, of course, um, I I gotta say there's, there's definitely, I felt it was very tropey. I mean, naturally the men she, you know, she comes across, I mean, she's, she's, she's trespassing on land. A guy says, you know, uh, she confronts a couple of guys who tell her to get off the land. Uh, they're within, I, I mean, they're probably overly aggressive here. I felt the writing was a little forced in that regard, but I'll, you know, whatever she, she kills them. Um, and, uh, you know uh, the art's fantastic. The when they die, and she infects them. The way they have mushrooms and plants growing out of their butt. You know, I mean, the the art was really good. Uh, a shout out to the artist, uh, Marcio Takara. Very well done. The art was really good. She she Takara does a really good job. I just showcasing Poison Ivy's powers. Her powers. I mean, she's 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 taken something. Even though she might be dying or slowly losing her powers she this is a poison ivy that's she's got an agenda i'm not clear what the agenda is yet but i am curious what it is but i am getting a little bit of that eco terrorist vibe that maybe is a little tropey for her i was hoping for a little bit of a twist but the twist might be there the devil is always in the details and we don't have all the details yet but what we're where we do get a lot of detail is artistically and takara does a really good job in in, in uh, in that regard, here, and uh this is this is a poison ivy that's she's got she 's on a mission here, and she appears to be doing it. The motivation for for her to do it appears to be for Harley. she clearly loves Harley, and the hints of future issues suggest that Harley Quinn might play a role in this series, and I hope she does because this is ultimately may end up being uh, a love story after all, and uh of course the the opening issue does have that pride sticker on it uh so this and probably the most popular uh LGBT couple in comics is arguably uh Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn so uh, I hope to see Harley in it because I'm sure fans whether you're LGBTQ or otherwise uh or just fans of Harley or both characters in their own right uh, uh I think I think we want to see them uh together at some point and uh you can tell Pamela Isley dreams of Harley she talks of Harley she says i can see you when i close my eyes more and more i can see you when my eyes are open too and so and she she has a flashback to when to when Harley was asking her not to leave but uh very clearly the trauma that Pamela Isley experienced at the end of Fear State when she lost her sort of you know because there was the poison ivy and then there was the queen ivy and there was that dichotomy a psychological dichotomy of pa- of Pamela Isley. and then there was the gardener, uh, who was the former lover, and, and also a scientist, similar to or botanist, similar to Pamela Eisley. Uh, all that played a role here very clearly. There's uh, uh, th- this is the the unders- underscoring the Pamela's uh, motivation is her love for Harley. Why does she think that? she she has to do something world changing in order to before she can go back to Harley surely she's got to know that I have a sneaking suspicion Harley doesn't want her to do whatever Pamela thinks she's got to do cuz I have a feeling that it's going to involve the death of a lot of people because that seems to be something that Pamela always seems to do and uh Jay Willow Wilson I'm really curious to see what her takes going to be because What's interesting is Poison Ivy in this issue seems to have possessed self-awareness to know she even identifies one of her tropes. She even talks about the fact that she was an, you know, that she, that she has a history there, and yet she seems to be embracing the very thing that she seems to be self-aware of here. But uh, I'm curious to see where this goes. There's a visual here of, her, of Poison Ivy at the end. I've never seen artistically Takara renders. A vision, uh, uh, an an iteration of poison ivy that I've never seen her drawn quite like that before. Uh, it's it reminds me like a combination between poison ivy and swamp thing, and uh, so and a little bit of firestorm with the hair. So it's interesting. I'm curious to see where uh, J Willow Wilson takes this, but uh, I I could be wrong. So maybe my pessimism uh, I'm is misplaced. But what did you think?
0: Yeah, I just go back to what I was saying before when we read the backup. We're really leaning into more of a villainous poison ivy. And, you know, if she really is dying, what legacy do I want to leave behind? You know, you alluded to the fact that she could be doing a lot of this for Harley. Um, And, you know, she feels that humans have, you know, poisoned the earth just too much. It's hard to argue with that, you know, climate change and everything else that's going on in in our real world. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Um, it certainly pushes back against the idea of her as an anti-hero because, I mean, she's just out and out killing people. And, you know, whether you believe in eating meat or not, you know, these are just people trying to get along, trying to survive raising their cattle. So, yeah, she, has she crossed a line again? Is it, you know, something else uh, that's really behind it that you can blame? You know, she did take, she's losing her power, so she did take some, some more of the the plant extract or whatever it is that gave her her powers in the first place. And so, yeah, you just wonder what exactly is going to happen. And I, th- I think that's really where this first issue succeeds the most is just the, the intriguing setup that G. Willow Wilson has, uh, has given us here. Uh, as far as the art goes, it's very suited to the type of story and the tone of story that G. Willow Wilson is, telling. Uh, For me, Takara art is always a little bit too messy. It's not quite clean enough for me, but uh, it does suit the story, especially when we see Ivy, uh, as you uh, said, infecting people where they're, you know, they got all kinds of mushrooms and little tiny stalks and whatnot growing out of them. Uh, That plant material is rendered very well by Takara. So overall, really strong issue. Um, Poison Ivy is not a character that I really ever, paid that much attention to one way or the other. Uh, and this has me interested in, in the story. I also agree with you on the covers. Um, yeah, they're all fantastic. The Frank Cho one might be my favorite, but it's, it's really hard to pick. Uh, I'm not sure who did the one where she's kind of laying on her back and she's got the little garden gardening spade in her hand. Um, yeah. maybe that's the Nick Robles cover. That one's fantastic yeah. as well. So yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really fantastic. So anyway, uh, That does it for uh, the issues this week that we're going to talk about. Again, if you're looking for Dark Crisis, go check out that individual spotlight. If you're looking for the Pride uh, anthology, we'll be talking about that on a spotlight tomorrow. Uh, There are a a few other uh, trades and collections and whatnot that are coming out this week. So I'll just mention real briefly, we've got – well – First of all, there's a couple of issues that we haven't talked about in any of the Earth Prime series. It's uh, issue number five, The Flash. And those are the ones that are all derivative from the CW shows. Neither Rocky nor I watched those, so if that's your cup of tea, definitely check that out. There's also a reprint of uh, Justice League number 75. If you missed out the first time around, the death of the Justice League, that's coming out uh, as well. And then uh, for the collections, we've got Tales of the Dark Multiverse 2 trade paperback, which collects some of those stories. And then Legion of superheroes five years later. That's the very infamous uh, Keith Giffen run. uh, The volume two hardcover of that is out. So uh, if you're interested in in that, definitely check out uh, that hardcover. So uh, I think that's it. Um, Anything else you want to add? Rocky got anything that you want to tease? Anything else coming up this
1: week? Uh, actually, I probably don't have anything this week. I, I just keep, I'm so busy at work lately. It's just, it's starting to be the, the, the summer rush and, uh, I just got uh, more trials and everything. I'm just, I'm just very, very busy. And, uh, but I will say I did do, uh, I, I guess start on Nerdet. Uh, uh, I, I mentioned it on Nerdet's newsstand. Uh, we talked about, uh, the, the, Jepp and Donny Heard Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial and uh people are probably sick to death of that. But uh, you know, so I actually talked about something other than comic books uh for a change. Uh but uh people can check out her channel. And uh but no, I actually don't have anything coming up probably till next week. Well I well you and I will review Pride. We'll review that Pride issue. And I haven't read it yet, so I'll be reading it uh, tomorrow morning and so uh, hopefully we'll get some pleasant surprises in there and we'll uh, we'll we'll Get dive into the details of that uh, t- either tomorrow or Wednesday. So,
0: Yeah, the uh, new Comic Wednesday episode will be coming out, and there's also an interview I had with Alex Antone, who used to be a uh, an editor at DC, actually, and has moved over to Skybound, and he's editing their young adult line, which is called Skybound Comet. So later on, uh, right before it drops, there is a Clementine young adult graphic novel coming out, Clementine being from the Walking Dead video game. She's hugely popular. And that video game series was uh, really, really well received and unfortunately didn't get to finish uh, because the company that was um, creating those games went out of business or got purchased or what have you right before the last game came out. (laughs) Robert Kirkman went on record as saying, yes, we will complete the story. Well, this is what Tilly Walden, uh, who's the creator, both writer and artist on this Clementine project, is doing a trilogy, uh, three graphic novels, all well over 100 pages. Uh, So she came on to talk about it. Uh, and that episode will be released uh, later this month. Uh, but before that, Alex Antone is on and he's going to talk about Clementine as well as the other two, Sea Serpent's Air and uh, Machine Boy. Uh, two other young adult graphic novels that are coming out from Skybound this year and talk about the uh, development of that comet line uh, in general. So it was a really fun talk. Uh, Alex and I are very simpatico when it comes to our um, our view on comics and how we believe there's comic stories out there for everybody. So, uh, it was a great chat. So look for that, uh, on Thursday, uh, new comics, Wednesday episode on Wednesday. Uh, and hopefully I'm going to be getting back to the daily spawn real soon. So, uh, appreciate everybody listening as always. Don't forget to subscribe to comic space, boom, exclamation point on YouTube, ring the notification bell, uh, like this video and subscribe. So you, uh, never miss an episode conversely if you just like to listen to the audio only just go to your favorite podcasting app or platform do a search for the comic source and subscribe and that's gonna do it so we appreciate everybody listening as always and we'll talk to you next time see you later you can find the comic source podcast on spotify apple podcast stitcher google play or whichever podcasting app you prefer please tell all your friends about us subscribe and rate us